everybody and welcome to another episode of the what's good games podcast usually your source for video game news commentary analysis funny stuff every friday i'm andrea renee joined in studio by miss Brittany brombachter hello brockter brockter brombachter it's your new name i like it i'm down with it is that what andrea renee calls me <laughs> exactly all right hello i'm here and one miss christine steimer is hello. here that is my actual name that is your actual name <laughs> i like this uh puma that you have on your shirt it's a cheetah did you find oh, it in your cheetah? closet Oh. It's a cheetah. I found it in my closet because I bought you, the shirt and it ended up there. Do you get the joke though? There's a poo yes. Okay, oh, cool. of course. Okay. You, think, you think I wrote a book and don't remember the name? Listen, Simer. I don't know sometimes. It's true. I am pretty dumb. If you guys out there <laughs> missed the Patreon special of a puma ate my, it was in my closet. Wait, a puma ate my closet? Amazing. Um, <laughs> it was a secret segment. There's a puma in my There's closet. A puma in yeah. my closet. Simon wrote a book that she Nobel wrote. Nobel Prize winning. There's a complete with illustrations. And I think you were wearing your strawberry costume when we when we did this. I think I was. Yeah, we we're all yeah. in our Halloween costumes. Yeah, it was Halloween. Yeah. Mm. It's um it's on the YouTube channel now mm-hmm. though, right? There is. YouTube.com slash what's good games. It's good content right there. Go enjoy my <laughs> you need fifth a, grade writing. A nighttime story to read to your children. Simon has it's you covered. A really weird one to pick, but you could. There's no bad words in it. I didn't know the bad words at the time. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you probably knew them, but you knew that you would I'd, get in trouble if you used them. I didn't. I mean, really was unaware for a very long time. Had a nice little bubble that I lived in. It was Aww. great. Oh, that's really sweet. That's because you also, were you swearing also when you were very young. <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't swearing when I was very young. But I mean, there was no pretenses about me knowing because I started watching like R-rated content pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, my dad was cool. He let us watch bad movies when we were young. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks Dad. Dad. <laughs> um, but I knew full well that if I actually used those words, that I would get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, so. I swore all the time in front of my parents. When you were care. a kid, yeah, yeah. I mean, my whole family just—we just all—all all of us just swear. But there's that rule, that fine line of respect. Like I knew who I could you can't swear, swear in front at of. someone. Well, not at someone. And there's certain people, like my grandparents on my dad's mm-hmm. side, I still don't swear in front of them because then that's disrespectful. But like my grandma and everyone on my mom's side, that's just how we talk. Right. So, but you can't couldn't say it in front of teachers, in front of other kids. You know, the rules. It's impressive that you were able to have that kind of self control as a child. Obviously, I think parents all have different kinds of styles when it comes to swearing. Like my Mm -hmm. sister, for example, swears a lot in front of her kids because she's like, "Whatever, I swear. They're just words." Um, But I think it's you know she kind of has the same philosophy we do. You don't swear at people, but you can like just swear at things or at the universe, and it's fine. It's just another word. But I can't imagine having the have to trust that your kids just going to not use it at school. Right? I was just a little overachiever, a little brown noser, if you will. That's why we love you. Thanks. I mean, I do. I was a brown noser too. Yeah. 
happen. Listen, shout out to all the brown nosers who were like, I'm trying to get ahead at a young age. You can hate on me if you want, but look at us now. Here we are. Look Boom. how great we're doing. That's right. Yep. Okay, so um, okay. you may be wondering, what the heck is going on with this week's <laughs> what episode? What is this show? <laughs> so because the plan is that the week that this airs, Brittany and I are supposedly going to be out of town at the same time. We thought it'd be easiest if we just shot something in advance. And it's a topic that we've been wanting to, to do. We just didn't have time to do it earlier. But we thought we can't let the opportunity of the year turning 2020 pass us by without talking about our favorite games of the last decade. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen a ton of lists across many different sites kind of counting down their top 100, their top 20, their most influential, all kinds of people. But we wanted to talk about it because we love games as much as you guys do. And we would love to kind of chat about some of the games we thought were impactful to us over the last 10 years. Yeet. So these are our personal favorite games of the decade. Correct. Not critical. Yes. Yeah. Because I did write down some what, what I thought would be critical games of the decade, but they weren't games I spent very much time with because it wasn't my fave. So we can maybe give them like honorable mentions at the end. Um, but what we also thought would be interesting is that if we each have our personals, but that we will then have a group games of the decade because let's be honest there's gonna be some overlap here for sure yeah. got one neither of you are gonna pick but yeah oh yeah i bet you i have one neither of you are gonna pick i bet yep I, same here bitches. Bet, we're gonna have just like three individual ones and then the rest Everything will all be the same yeah, probably that's probably true so i guess i want to pose to you ladies do you want to start with group ones and then we can go to individuals sure how does that sound cool. sounds fan fantastic perfect but before we do that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Honey. Online shopping is supposed to be easy. So why is it so hard to find coupon codes that actually work? Thanks to Honey, it doesn't have to be. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You have Googled promo code or coupon code for your favorite website at least once in your life and know that you're going to be stuck trying several codes only to find out that all of them don't work. But not with Honey, because Honey is the free online shopping tool that saves you money online. Honey automatically finds the best promo codes and then applies them to the items already in your cart, which makes online shopping finally feel as easy as it's supposed to be. So imagine you're shopping at one of your favorite sites. Maybe it's Target, Best Buy, Sephora, Macy's, eBay, Etsy, etc. When you check out, this little box drops down and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. You wait a few seconds for it to scan through all the promo codes on the internet. There's probably a lot of them. And then, boom, watch the prices drop. So I was recently using Honey just a couple of days ago, actually, when I was shopping for a new desk chair for my office. So I've been using my chair that's supposed to go with my makeup vanity because I had to take the chair that was in the office out to the studio once the studio was complete. So I've actually been without a proper office chair for quite some time. Um, so of course I go to one of my favorite websites, the shop furniture, overstock.com, and I find the perfect chair after browsing for far too many hours. And I get to check out and boom, honey is right there and it says, uh, are you ready to save some money and get some cash back? And I was like, yes, run all the coupon codes. And they ended up saving me $29.55 on this chair. I was like, holy moly, that's a lot of money. Um, just enough money for me to buy one more thing. Um, but it was super easy. I have the Honey extension installed on my Chrome browser. So it literally did all of the work for me. I just had to click one button. Honey has found over 18 million members, over $2 billion in 
savings. Now, did you know that Honey supports over 30,000 stores online and they're adding more every day? Users love Honey and that's why it has over 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. Not using Honey is literally passing up free money, you guys. Plus, it's free to use and installed in just two clicks. So here's what you've got to do. You can go to joinhoney.com slash what's good and get Honey for free. That's right. It's not going to cost you a thing and it's going to save you money. Go to joinhoney.com slash what's good. One more time, join Honey, just like it sounds, J-O-I-N-H-O-N-E-Y.com slash what's good. By doing so, not only are you going to get Honey for free, but you're going to be supporting everything we do here at What's Good Games. Okay, so we decided to pick a top three that we collectively at What's Good Games believe are our What's Good Games top three games of the decade. Now, we didn't rank them individually. It's just our three favorite games that all three of us really loved and really thought were impactful from the last 10 years. So, Steimer, you pick one from the list and talk about it first, and then Brittany will pick one, and then I'll do the last one. Cool. Well, may as well talk about the greatest game ever. Not really, but it's pretty damn good. Uh, Mass Effect 2. Yes. <laughs> Bells and whistles. Woo. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, the whole Mass Effect series in general is very near and dear to, I think, all of us here. Um, but 2 was obviously, I mean, it was Superior. a little bit of like the, the Goldilocks <laughs> of like the three, right? Where you're like, okay, well, this one's a little of this and this one's a little of that. But 2 kind of hit a nice um, cadence and rhythm and... But the, the one, I mean, like, one thing about it that I always find funny is that it's, like, the whole, Mass Effect 2 is the suicide mission of this uh, thing. And then you can make it so no one dies. And I was like, that maybe I would have changed directionally for the game. I feel like it would have made more sense if it forced, like, at least someone, at least one person isn't coming out of this. Mm. Um, but otherwise, love that game. I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So just a little recap for people who maybe never played the Mass Effect series or never played Mass Effect 2 specifically. Um, it's an action role-playing game developed by Bioware, published by Electronic Arts. It was released originally for Microsoft Windows and Xbox 360 back in 2010 and then PlayStation 3 in 2011. It's the second installment, of course, of the Mass Effect series and a sequel to the original Mass Effect. It takes place in the Milky Way galaxy during the 22nd century where humanity is threatened by an insectoid species known as the Collectors. The player assumes the role of Commander Shepard, or Fem Shep, she's the best, an Yay. elite human soldier who must construct and gain the loyalty of a diverse team and stop the enemy in a suicide mission. With the use of a completed save game of its predecessor, the player can impact the story of the game in numerous ways. Oh, so what was so cool for me about Mass Effect is this is the first game I had ever played where your data transfers from game to game. And I'll never forget, because I, I wrote about it in my old website, blunder.com. The coolest thing, I mean, it wasn't the coolest thing. It was kind of heartbreaking and kind of made me very mad, was I was faithful to Caden throughout the entire playthrough oh. of Mass Effect 2, uh -huh. right? And yep. the first Mass Effect 2 was my boy, and obviously, you know, you don't see him for a bit in Mass Effect 2, and then you see him, and he's a fucking asshole to you. That broke my heart yeah. more than most things in a video game. Yeah. Because I was so excited. I think you and I were like, we're so excited to finally see Caden. Because, like, I'm literally playing this whole game just like, where's Caden? Where's Caden? Where's Caden? Yeah. And, then and then you, you find him. him it's like, sorry. And you wish you didn't find him. I was dying in space. Sorry, I couldn't, like, get back to you right away, homeschool. Sorry, I didn't text sorry, you back. Sorry, I didn't text you back. I was, I was going dead. through some shit. Like, yeah, I that's never liked Caden. That's the, oh, wow. Oh, 
Yeah, sorry. He was never my thing. I mean, Liara was like my bae. Mm. Um, so what's interesting about my history with Mass Effect is that I actually started out playing Mass Effect 2 first. And then I went back and played ah. the original Mass Effect and then brought my new save forward and replayed Mass Effect another four times. Uh, for five total playthroughs, start to finish. Listen, Man. I was going to get the perfect ending, and it just took me a couple tries. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. I remember too. I was flirting with Garrus because I was I was horny. Yeah, Chef I mean, was horny. You know, I'm sorry. He looks like you a gotta cricket. do what yeah. you got. He looks he like looks, a cricket, Garrus like an like avian a, cricket. A, avian cricket. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I remember I was. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, crickets, crickets on no, my jam. Garrus though, he had this confidence about him that Caden, I think, lacked. Now, granted, Caden was going through some stuff with uh, his. Caden was a good old boy. He was, but he was troubled. But I think that was part of his, his thing. part of his appeal. Mm-hmm. But Garrus was always so witty and confident, and I liked talking to him. And so I remember we were flirting, and I think some way things got taken a step too far, and we told each other we were going to try to attempt interspecies sex. Which is dangerous with the And I was like, cool, that sounds good. Like, hey, I haven't had any in a while anyway. So I go back to my, my to Shep's. <laughs> go ahead and probe me. I go back to Shep's quarters and I look for Caden's photo and it was face down because I had crossed that line. With <laughs> I Garris. mean, like, can you, like, can you imagine though if you'd had his fucking face up there and watch it? You're like, watch Caden. <laughs> well, I was so, I was Awkward. so traumatized. I was like, oh no, I, I had spent the whole game being faithful to him and now I've cheated on him in a sense and that was you know at the end of that game when you're looking I think at it's their pretty safe photo. to say you're broken up you're not cheating on him well but if, yeah but his photo was face down and yes, I was very it's, sad. it's very much the direction of i'm moving on from this versus so i cheating reloaded my safe yeah. oh no you can't for, cheat on someone sure. who's really no, not interested sure. in being with you're you. right that's a complicated that's situation fair. so i had to reload a save and bow out with mr garris but that was also one of those moments like god mass effect 2 was such a good game it's such a little thing but oh yeah i still think about that that was a complicated relationship there's so many of those individual moments that really make mass effect such a a masterpiece of a of a role-playing game i mean i think you know there's it clearly had some some flaws there was a lot of the combat that felt a little clunky and the shooting that wasn't great but i loved what they did with the biotic system and being able to kind of customize the kind of commander shepherd that you wanted but what i think where mass effect 2 really shined for me was the building of relationships with each of your individual team members as you went on the loyalty missions mm. getting to know about them where they came from and having those interactions and just the diversity of experiences you can have based off the kinds of conversations you had with those teammates i think is what really made mass effect so special and i think when you were saying that it, it like there were so many things like little things that they added which was really nice so like i love that you can recruit samara or her daughter morinth i believe her name was in and aspect like, three yeah oh wait shit was that three no it's two is it two? two suicide mission girl oh samara yeah mm-hmm. yeah you're right i'm like no i'm pretty sure yeah because and then what i like is so she talks about the fact that she's basically a black widow right the daughter not the mm-hmm. not samara samara's like the girl bringing her in but or her mom but anyways um you can in the game like attempt to romance more and she'll kill you and it's a game over and i just think that's so oh, wait, what? amazing I didn't know about that. yeah mm-hmm. that's funny it's yeah. just so fun. i'm like yes i love that you put that in the game you were like you know what you can go for it if you want to but you're gonna regret it <laughs> she's very honest with you she says exactly what she is <laughs> yep uh, i vividly remember making a specific save file right before that decision 
and then going back and like reloading. That was like in the glory days of when you could like totally like yep. kind of like skirt some of these things. With oh yeah, you just you'd be very, very clever with your save files. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of it is auto save, and you just so you get shit screwed. out of luck. Yeah, it's <laughs> like oh no, now I had I made that decision and I have to live with it. Oh. Or you got or you got to start all, all over again. again. I would love to do that Thanks. trilogy over again. I've only played each game once. What? Oh, really? really? I played mm-hmm. Mass Effect 1 eight times. Yes. Then I played two, like, three or four. But I only played three once. Because that game mm-hmm. broke my fucking heart. Really? Yeah. But you couldn't see the silver lining of what was good about that game? No, I could. But it just, it was a, it just made me not... I just didn't want to pick it up again. Yeah. Was it the fact that you were disappointed with the ending? Or the fact that, like, they essentially killed Shepard in the end? It just felt over for me. In yeah. a lot of different ways. Part of it was I wasn't super satisfied with the ending, even the retconned one. Um, part of it was that actually up until that point with the weird ending, um, I just felt like all of the ends were tied up the way that I would have wanted them to. And except for the, except for me getting to marry Kate and it right off into the sunset. <laughs> That's it. That was like, that was the one thing I wanted. And, and they had DLC and stuff that came out. I just couldn't bring myself to play it. I just was like, in a way, that whole game, the entire journey of it, not just the ending, like was me saying goodbye to Mass Effect. And obviously, I played Andromeda, but and I'll play other things as they come out. But for me, that was kind of putting the trilogy to rest. And now, does Shepard die in the end? I thought at the very end in the newer version. It depends, depends on which ending which you get. Ending okay, because that's the ending I got. Because I played it after <laughs> the new. Like I've always loved Mass Effect, but it was never my favorite. Dragon Age was more my thing. So I finished Mass Effect 3 after they redid the ending. And I got the scene where she takes, like, a breath. It's like, oh, baby. That's yeah. if you basically are like, go F yourselves, Reapers. Mm. I am not listening to the weird child. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, then you, yeah, you basically see Shepard on the rubble take a breath. But I'm like, then you do die immediately? Because, like, I think there's no one else around. And all the relays have been destroyed. <laughs> yeah, all the relays. And, I don't know who's going like, to help where do you. They, where do they go from here? Well, that's incredible. You know? Yeah, you can still use faster than light speed, but you can't travel the way that you used to. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it's shitty. Yeah. But I hope that they eventually make a remaster of that. I would really love to see a a complete remake, quite frankly, but I'll take a remaster. I would love a remake of the first. Yeah, the first one needs needs first one needs definitely needs more. Um, but I still, I still do think story wise, not necessarily with the individual characters, but story arc wise, the first one is the strongest character wise. The second is the strongest um and then third again yeah i do the think combat up I think until is the strongest in the third the ending i think they were doing a really nice job of like tying up every everything that had come before it uh yeah and just i don't know just pretend like that didn't happen that's all no yeah but we salute you bioware mass effect 2 for being one of our top three games of the last decade um, so, next up, Britt, which one are you going to go for? I want to talk about Boy Simulator. All right. <laughs> Boy. Dance Simulator. Uh, God of War, obviously. I mean, we've talked about this game so many times on this show. I don't know what more we really need to say about it. But when I think of a video game masterpiece, I just think of immediately of God of War. And for all the reasons that we've talked about before, I think, obviously, the, the narrative is just incredible. The acting is a beautiful game. Everything about it is just so compelling and good, especially... Was it those wolves? The, fuck the wolves. It's a it's a fine game or whatever you said it was. Fi- I said yeah, I think you said it was fine. It's fine. I was I, like, it's a good game because I think all three of us were a little nervous beforehand mm-hmm. because we had God of War had never really been any of our things. Yeah, right. And the fact that it reeled us all in and we we're all unanimously like game of the year masterpiece. 
one of the most incredible games you can play. I think that just speaks volumes. Yeah, I think it was Absolutely. interesting what, obviously, what they did with this character that previously had meant nothing to any of us because he's Kratos is very one note, right? He's just mad. He likes to fuck things. <laughs> he's just mm-hmm. mad all of the time. Mm-hmm. And you're like, look, I get mad sometimes, but I'm not mad 100% of the time because <laughs> that would be exhausting. Indeed. Uh, so to then take that character and be like, what if he wasn't angry? <laughs> All of the time. What if he was like what if he complex? Was, yeah, yeah. What if he had more emotions? What if he cared about someone? I mean, obviously he cares about somebody and then they die and that's why he goes into super rage mode. Yeah. But regardless, I I just really thought it was beautiful what they did with that character. And they were like, but what? But what if? Yes, exactly. So just as a refresher, even though you probably don't need it since this game is relatively recent, um, God of War is an action-adventure game developed by Santa Monica Studio and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. It was released on April 20th, 2018 for the PlayStation 4. It is the eighth installment in the God of War series, the eighth chronologically, and the sequel to to 2010's God of War 3. Unlike previous games, which were loosely based on Greek mythology, the installment is rooted in Norse mythology, with the majority of it set in ancient Norway in the realm of Midgard. For the first time in the series, there are two protagonists, Kratos, the former Greek god of war who remains the only playable character, and his young son, Atreus. Following the death of Kratos' second wife and Atreus' mother, they journey to fulfill her request that her ashes be spread at the highest peak of the Nine Realms. Kratos keeps his troubled past a secret from Atreus, who is unaware of his divine nature, Along their journey, they encounter monsters and other gods in the Norse world. Oh, yeah, they did such Corey Barlog. Shout out to I mean, Corey, not Barlog. just Corey, no, and everyone the else, of team, course. Yeah. But you know, I think what's really phenomenal about what that team was able to accomplish is that they had an immense amount of pressure to deliver on a, a very iconic PlayStation franchise, mm-hmm. and I think that. I can only imagine what they must have been feeling when they were leading up to the reveal. I don't know if you guys, did you guys watch the documentary about God of War? Yes, but it was a while ago. So my, Uh, well hazy. So they had this really nice moment in the documentary. And if you haven't watched it, I can't recommend it enough. It is incredibly well done. Um, The Raising Kratos, yes? Yes. Ah, Um, They have footage from early days at the studio when they were just getting started on the development of this. And then they have this moment with Corey when he went on stage at E3 to reveal and how they were able to keep that reveal a secret up until, you know, the moment when the orchestra started and we saw Kratos on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a, you and I were sitting next to each other. Yeah. It was back in the days when PlayStation had some of the best press conferences around rip. Um, So, I mean, it's true though. So what, what I think was so impactful was that they were able to take this character and make this incredible narrative that I think touched on a lot of things that people were able to identify with. And I think that's a lot of reasons why people like the game. But the thing that really struck me is because there's a lot of great narratives out there was just how perfect the combat flow felt because playing God of Wars in the past Hack and slash and combat was such a huge emphasis, and that franchise is known for having really slick, fluid, fast-paced combat. And it was like, well, how are they going to do this with this one-cut camera mm-hmm. that Corey was really insistent on? And I think that's something a lot of us forget, is if you go back and play or watch some gameplay, the cinematography of the game is what elevated that experience, and it's probably because you never noticed it because it was so well done. Yep. I just like every every little piece of that, like... 
playing with the hammer, the Leviathan axe, I mean, mm. um, and being able to like throw it and have it come back, have it feel like that Milner, weightiness. right? Yeah, it was exactly. great. Exactly. And then getting the Blades of Chaos were all amazing and the upgrade system. I mean, literally every piece of that game feels like a masterpiece. Even Mimir, that little fucking head, dude. <coughs> they have the best yeah, life Mimir. advice to have. You know, he's always dropping knowledge and everyone's listening and him and Atreus and I didn't, and Atreus actually cared about that kid and I didn't think I would. And I got so emotional during that part where I'm not gonna spoil anything. But anyway, he goes through some shit. He he's on his. I'm high and mighty. Look how cool I am. And you command him to shoot something, an arrow, and he's like, whatever. And he flips you that attitude. It was so perfect, and it made me so mad at the same time. Yes, because they knew what they were doing when they wrote that in there. Oh, of course. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. Yeah, my temper flared. I was like. You do what I tell you to do. <laughs> I am your father. <laughs> do you know I am Daddy Kratos? Uh, yeah, punk? which is so funny because you're like, <sighs> yeah, man. Kids just know how to, even fake children know yeah, how to push. But little buttons. moments like that where someone had the, you know, the hindsight to, or not hindsight, foresight. Is that the word? Yes. To put it in and be like, yeah, this little one word, but it still sticks with me. I think that there's so many of those moments in that game too, and like the set pieces, which God of War as a franchise is known for. Did not disappoint this time around either. If I think about, um, oh my god, that giant going, dead like frozen oh, the, giant, yeah, that you crawl the frozen giant yeah, was really cool. Like, Whoa. The um, the turtle tree house was yeah. coming yeah. to see that for the first time was really neat, and just so many of those moments that really kind of define like the set design, the art design, the art direction, and the kind of world building mm-hmm. at large was just mm-hmm. so well done and. Graphically, just looked so beautiful. A, you know, a bonus to being at the later part of the life cycle for the console. Oh, definitely. Oh, so man. it's just I. I almost feel bad for the other studios in Sony Interactive Entertainment's label because it's like, oh, the bar's been set like super high now. Yeah, day one. Yeah, if you're gonna remake a franchise, that's the way to do it. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. I now I want to go back and play that game again. The only thing I didn't finish in that game was the final Valkyrie fight. Oh, I remember. Yeah, you were on the struggle bus with that for a while. I yeah. watched you try it. Yeah. I mean, I watched tutorials. Yeah. I watched walkthroughs. I just like see. I never did any oh. of the Valkyrie fights. Oh, some of the best boss fights I've ever done. Oh, the thing intense. is, like for me, I'm not somebody who's like, yeah, I love boss fights. And I actually think this is another part of the, the game that they did really well. They're like, here's a bunch of stuff and you don't have to touch it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, good. Yeah. Thank you. I will do a very little bit of it and then nothing else. <laughs> like, I don't want to do these Valkyrie fights. I'm sure they're cool. I can mm-hmm. watch them on YouTube. Somebody else can deal with that. Oh. But like, I don't have the patience for it. Um, And then like a bunch of the other kind of collectible stuff. I was like, no, I don't don't need that. Yeah, I forgot about that whole area where you can collect the uh, orbs or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Niflheim. Yeah, yeah, you can craft mm-hmm. that armor. Oh my god. Yeah, Niflheim is intense. Ugh. I spent time there just upgrading, mm-hmm. so I could do the 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 Queen of the Valkyries fight and not be so underpowered. But it didn't matter yeah. because, like, I always got so stressed out when I would do Niflheim runs because you like you had X amount of time to like make it back. Right. Otherwise, you lose everything that you've collected. It's a lot of stress. Yeah, too much stress. Still so good. (coughs) I I liked it when she would step on you. She'd be like, worthless, worthless, pathetic. The Valkyries. I was Uh, like, yeah, tell me more. (laughs) Well, we know what Brittany's into now. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. I'm just getting a cough drop. Stick it in your mouth, unwrap it. Do you guys have any final thoughts about God of War? It's real good. 
if you haven't played it, you really should. Yeah, well, I actually think it's funny is that even though this is, uh, I have two games on here that are fairly recent, but a lot of the other stuff is is older. Mm. Um, so that doesn't necessarily mean that just because it came out, yeah, you know, later in the life cycle that it had a, a benefit in any way. Um, I mean, obviously it did in the sense that they understood the engine better and they could make a better looking game and a better running game. Sure. Um, but I mean, there was obviously a very real possibility of this coming out and it flopping horribly and flopping horribly, not necessarily in terms of sales, but in terms of the way it struck with both God of War fans and non-fans. And I think Mm -hmm. they managed to hit both. And I think that that is super rare to be like, wow, we've actually been able to reach a whole new set of people um, Mm -hmm. just because of the way we have slightly altered not only the main character, but the world that we're in and and taking a look at that. Um, So... Yeah, that's actually a good point, too, because I remember everyone was nervous, prior God of War fans, that they were going to resonate with this Kratos, because all of a sudden, big, badass Kratos has a child that he cares about. And now he's, though. He has a child that he cares about, but, but only calls him boy. Boy. So. There was part of the game where I was like, I don't know if Kratos is this guy's father, because I don't know of any father who just calls his kid boy. Like, boy. Kratos has well, some things uh, he And I was like, he's out. never once called him by his name. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a point in the game where he does use his name. He does at some point. Yeah, but right. like when I was you yeah. know, first getting into the yeah. game, I was like, I'm really confused. Why does he only call him boy? To assert dominance. No, I know. But I was just, I was just like, hey. so. he, has a, he has a name. That's okay. If, someone, if my dad was just like, girl. Oh, I know. I'd be like, excuse you? I wonder if Kratos I'm is five, but I'm not okay with this. <laughs> Amazing. You're like, I'm actually a girl, but like, I'm still not cool, Dad. Like, I'm not just an object. I have a name. You named me? You (laughs) dumb dumb? You don't remember? Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to move on to our last game in our top three games of the decade for us collectively as a group. And that game is Horizon Zero Dawn. Ah. Yes. I'm so glad that Brittany is now on board the train. Yes, me too. Um, so let me just start by reading the little blurb about it. So Horizon Zero Dawn is an action role-playing game developed by Guerrilla Games and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. It was released for the PlayStation 4 in early 2017. The plot follows Aloy, a hunter in a world overrun by machines, who sets out to uncover her past. The player uses ranged weapons, a spear, and stealth to combat mechanical creatures and other enemy forces. A skill tree provides the player with new abilities and bonuses, and the player can explore the open world to discover locations and take on side quests. So I was instantly in love with this game when it came out, but I remember watching the reveal and thinking it looked really cool, but going, hmm, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that game. And I think what really drew me to the game was not only was Aloy a very strong protagonist. And she had red hair. Oh, she had red hair. That may have had something to do with it. Um... But the way that they unfolded this narrative inside the world and really made it feel like you were progressing and uncovering more and more bits of the story and, mm-hmm. and like, the way that they tied it up at the end, too, I was just, like, it, it all came together. I had so many questions at the beginning, and then by the end I was, like, I was so impressed by the writing that Gorilla did. I was super prepared to not feel that way at the end of the game. I, going into it, I had all these questions, same as you, and I was just here. The thought process I had was this is a video game. It's not going to answer any of these. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to headcanon this and figure it out on myself <laughs> because the that is honestly like traditionally what I've found a lot of gaming stories to be. It's like 
here here we've laid out this world but we don't really know why it's just yeah cool. it's just kind of cool yeah. or whatever and like whoops like look over there it's a monkey i don't know you just <laughs> it, it goes to a weird place where you aren't you're sort of forced to forget about the questions you had um because nobody wanted to answer them right or just didn't they were just i don't know uh, or they're like well we want to make a sequel and therefore we need to leave some things open and mm-hmm. even though this obviously could have you know more stories to tell with aloy they didn't do the thing where they're holding you hostage with it like, right you get the answers you are searching for and I was so happy about that because, you, like I said, you very rarely get that. And honestly, like, as much as I love Bioware, I feel like they are very guilty of this, too, um, where it's just you, you're not quite getting everything that you want out of the ending. Right. Uh, not even just three, but, like, the other ones, too, or a little bit, you know, they just leave you hanging there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, but I... but. Excuse me. I have I have some. I qu- want to know the I questions. questions. <laughs> I have some questions. Could you answer, please? Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. Obviously, everyone knows my history with Horizon Zero Dawn. Too many trees. I didn't play it for a very long time until just like a couple months ago, and I was just I wasn't prepared, I guess, to be so sucked into this game the way I was, just because of the, my original history with it. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll start it. We'll see how it goes. But once I actually, I don't know if where my headspace was last time I tried playing it, what it was, or maybe it was because I knew God of War is a fine game. It's a fine game. I pulled a, a fine. Zero Dawn is a fine game. It's a, yep, it's a fine game. But yeah, like I was just so sucked into it. I collected everything and I never do that. But something about Aloy and putting her in all these different situations and meeting all these different characters was infinitely interesting. Everything she did, I'm like, tell me more. Everything she said, I want to figure her out because, you know, she is alone the whole game besides the few characters that she sees and she has her little friends in the end that comes in through like holograms or whatnot. But you know, so you don't really get to hear a lot about her speaking. Okay, like, you only really get her personality as she's talking to other people, right? right and sure. that's why it's so interesting, and that's why I always wanted to keep having her talk to people and do the side quests and collect every every little thing she collected. She has something to say about it. I'm like, oh, I just think she's a fascinating character. Shout out to Ashley Birch. Yeah. yeah. And the combat in that game is probably the fun, some of the most fun I've had. Yes. I loved the combat. It's so good. And I, you know, I love crouching in the tall grass and waiting for the monster robots to come my you're way. Making traps. Making tra- oh, man, tripwire. I had tripwires. You're wires. like, okay, you're going to come through here. <laughs> it was so And then you die. Fun. Yeah, it was yeah. so much fun. I had like 20 tripwires just surrounding me. And I would whistle. I'd throw rocks. Like, hey, hey come my way, friends. Mm-hmm. And then they would all blow up. And it Using was Using the arrows that like blow off the armor. Yeah, there's it, just so... Uh, it's so, a t- yeah, it's a testament to Gorilla's work on the combat design because it made you feel like each upgrade you got and each new thing that was added to your arsenal mm-hmm. was there for a purpose and was there for a reason. Yeah. And the different types of machines that you would have to fight along the way really forced you to rotate through that arsenal of tools and say, hey, like I can't use this weapon that I've been kind of having a crutch on against this machine because it's ineffective. Mm-hmm. I have to use this other play style instead. And so few games nail that combat loop they kind of just allow you to choose your play style and Uh then let you get comfortable there which you know isn't necessarily a bad thing but I think it's more interesting design when you can force me maybe out of my comfort zone but then you make learning the process fun in that's just it along the way yeah it's fun to learn the weak points of the different machines and you generally I'm the kind of person who likes to just hit shit. Like, give me a sword, give me a shield. <laughs> yeah, you are, you are yeah. the, um, the, I was, the tank. You are the, the tank, the face roll. You're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
face tank. That's yeah, face tank. Yeah, I was like, what is me. the term? And if yeah. that works, then I'm going to use it. But it doesn't work. And generally, that would be something that I think would irritate me if I can't just use the same technique all the time. Because, eh. but yeah, this was fun. It, it was just cool. Okay, so I know with this machine, I got to knock that part off. So I'm going to use this arrow, and then I know they're weak against this, so I'm going to use that, and then I'm going to do a trip wire here. It was just so fun. I think it would be cool to have, like, think of Monster Monster Hunter, but with the combat of Horizon. I think that would be really fun. Like huge, hmm. big old monsters, and ugh. what are those big, big, guys, big boys called? The ones that open up the map. Yeah, which big boys? No, not tall next. Sorry, the um, the big, the big beasts, the big machines, the really, really big ones that you only kind of start fighting toward the, the behemoths. End. Maybe. Hold on. Let yeah, me I mean, like, it might be the behemoths. But yeah, look. just like machines like that, and just taking them down with your friends, like raids. Oh, that'd be make it happen. Yeah, I'm definitely very much looking forward to getting another installment obviously we know that they're working mm-hmm. on it there's been leaks around it and with how successful it was for a brand new ip i don't know why they wouldn't make another one but i think it's also um important to recognize how well gorilla a studio that was known for its shooter franchise kind of pivoted and said hey we're gonna do an open action world excuse me open world action game and bring in these really, I thought, meaningful RPG elements as well and do stuff that's like conversational. You're going to form relationships with these characters, something that you, we didn't really get in the um, the franchise that they were doing before, the um, not Resistance, oh my gosh, the Killzone franchise, mm-hmm. which is what they were working on. Um, and so I think it's also like so impressive that they as a studio were able to take their their engine and make something that was completely different than the identity that most gamers knew them from, which is also, yeah. I think leads us to why we picked this game as being so impactful in the decade. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I good. mean, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I was literally just thinking it, I was like, it, it was also just super impressive to come from that studio. Mm-hmm. Cause that is not a studio, as you mentioned, that was known for any of those yeah. things and to come out and just nail it. And on so many different aspects, uh, just made me really happy for them. And also because like, it was a little, I don't know, I was like, what is going to happen with them? It was the future of the studio because, like, all of their shooter franchises were kind of, they did fine, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, no one was champing at the bit for them, you know? Right. It was just, they were just kind of the shooter of the PlayStation world. and or, Like, that was what you would get instead of a Halo. Ugh. Sorry. Like, that's... No, the, you're, that not, was... you're not wrong at all. That's totally correct. I mean, like, the, that franchise, I think, was iconic for PlayStation as a brand, but probably only because there wasn't a lot of competition and like some of them reviewed well i've played several of them over the years but like i don't find myself craving more kill zone no right mm-hmm. um so i think there's a couple that it could be there, there is a behemoth there's mm-hmm. the thunder jaw and then there's the death bringer those are kind of like the three biggest okay i think i'm thinking of the thunder jaw i'll just look at a picture anyway the, some of the most fun combat i've ever had in a game and it's just such an interesting idea the whole thing and play it don't be me don't yeah, pull over yes. it. Don't, don't be scared about the trees. Yeah, I think really what we also want to say is that it was impressive that Sony Interactive Entertainment had so many standout games of the decade because the PlayStation 4 just dominated this last decade. True. And so, like, good job. Keep it up. Make more cool games for the next decade. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our personal uh, favorite games of the decade. Stick with us. We'll be back in a minute.
Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our discussion here at What's Good Games on our favorite games of the decade. So we talked about our top three collective games of the decade, and now we're going to talk about some of our individual games of the decade. So I think what would be the most fun way for us to do this is us to each take one from our list, and we'll just go around in a circle. This sounds good. Cool? Okay. Steimer, you're up. So... Game that neither of you will pick because not you played it with me for a very uh, short I period of time. Guild Wars Two. Yeah. This was an MMO that came out. I can't believe that it came out in 2012. Like it feels like yesterday. I can't believe it was that long ago. My life was so different. It's super weird to think about. But this game came out. I, I've always dabbled in MMOs, uh, but I put in like 1,100 hours into Guild Wars Two. And if that does not make it game of the decade, I don't know what does. It was just, it absolutely hooked me in all of the right ways. The combat was super fun. So I was used to um, you know, playing like 45 well, full days of Guild, War- Guild Warzine. <laughs> 45. Yeah. 45 days. That's <laughs> what I did. Um, I, I had like level, I mean, I still do. They still exist. I could still log on and play them. But I have like level 80s, which was the top level for almost every class not all of them but like a good chunk um and i i think part of the reason why i did fall down this rabbit hole was i did manage to find a group of people that i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed playing with so i was logging on almost every night to do uh fractal runs which is basically like randomized dungeons and (laughs) where sometimes did not make you're just like sitting there like kind of beating your head against the wall trying to make it through this one part um it'd be like i'm so sorry i'm late for dinner like i have just been playing this game with people in texas so therefore our time zones are a little wonky i just have so many fond memories of of playing this game playing with other people even when i was running around by myself being able to customize my character the way i wanted to they have so many systems that i wish so like i wish destiny had adopted a lot more of these systems there's so many games i wish like those designers would go play guild wars 2 and see how player friendly they tried to design it to mm-hmm. be uh, instead of getting you on this perpetual like level grind or loot grind that you need to have like a gear check. Uh, Guild Wars was pretty friendly about not having that. And there is, there are some at this point, I probably, I mean, granted I haven't logged in this game for like three or four years. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, you, but you locked in. I know, it. but What's it feels good? like longer. I don't know. It feels like a very long time. I feel like, if I, if I logged in right now, I could still traverse the world just fine and go anywhere I wanted to go. I just wouldn't be able to do a lot of end game content because I think at this point you need ascended gear and I don't have that. Are you staying away because you don't want to get rehooked? That's part of it. Um, and part of it, like I did go back. You're right. I don't remember which year it was whenever one of the expansions released uh, and the map was super vertical, which is a very cool concept, but I kind of didn't like it. Mm. And I just found myself a little bit more confused than anything. Like, how do I, I see this point of interest. Where the fuck is it? Like, how do I get there? But the nice thing about it is the Guild Wars community was still so friendly. And so I would just type, I never talk to all chat. I never talk. Like you do not talk to people on the internet. They are scary. (laughs) But here I was like, Hey, I don't understand. Like, can you, and then you just hot link, like where the, where is this? And someone's like, Oh, here. And like this, this character just comes out of nowhere and leads you to the place so that you can get it marked off on your map. And I was like, this is why I love this game. Yeah. Like, people are so into it. 
the combat is much more action oriented. You have to be dodging. You have to be doing combos so you can add stacks of might because the stacks of might means that you do more damage. You want to be doing like AOE effects. So everyone's getting these stacks. Like there's so many little elements to it that felt a lot more like an action game than an MMO. Cause if you're playing a wow or whatever, like it's, sorry but at this point that combat is just old. i mean it it's is old, old. it yeah. is old like that's just what it is yeah. um and no matter how they try and update it you can't you can only update it to a certain amount at this point mm-hmm. um without rebuilding the whole thing from scratch and so right. like, and that's why i really liked guild wars because it was like no we had this is this is built this way yeah, I, I really liked playing it when I, Jason and I played it because you got us hooked. Yes, I, think I was we like, probably, please play with me. I think we put maybe 30 to 40 hours or something into it. But yeah, what I really liked about it is one of the reasons we burned out and wow was the combat was so tedious. Press two and you press two and you do the same thing and it's boring. But this, you have to be nimble and on your toes and rolling around. And like you can you can pick characters that are more face tanky, like the warriors a little bit more. Like you kind of, kind of can just stand there and hit the thing and it'll die. Um, but there are so many other classes that have a lot more finesse and like a higher skill cap. So I really liked playing around with the Mesmer class, which I also think is just super cool. It's basically a class designed around illusions and all of the illusions are purple. And like when they shatter, they turn into purple butterflies. Ah. And it's so cool. Like, like there's the visuals of this game too, are just so good. Um, I still loved being uh, an elementalist because there was a move if you had an offhand dagger called ride the lightning and you would just hit it and you just shoot like you shoot across and like lightning is just shooting behind you it was so cool oh. and then the legendaries were dope you get foot oh god i love i want to go back <laughs> this is the problem with this conversation we're having talking about all these games and like oh Ooh, I want to get in all of them. I mean, everything's getting delayed so this year. I was so close to a legendary, and I never got it. I never got my le- Maybe I should just go get my legendary. Maybe you should just do <laughs> that. Do it. Go get it. We'll do a quest and be like, hello, what's good, people? I need your help. Because you can't, like, getting a legendary required a group. I helped all of those other people get legendaries. And you didn't get one? And I did not get Hell one. Hell no. Part of it was my fault. Part of it was that I had, I could not choose. I was having trouble picking which class would be my main. Therefore, I had Sounds trouble right. picking which legendary weapon i would want and they're so it's not their fault and they no are problem, not bad y'all. people but i just i just couldn't decide okay you have that issue in games like this i do i just get paralyzed by choice because i'm like but that's shiny and pretty that's shiny and pretty <laughs> that's shiny and pretty like i just get and i'm like do i want to be somebody wearing no clothes or do i want to be somebody wearing a full suit of armor mm-hmm. both i have two characters i have more, more than two but i have a warrior who's like Bikini she male? is no she's fully like oh. suit of armor completely covered badass looking um my ranger's kind of mid she basically wears the same armor as one of the main characters of the game and i definitely have my oh isn't my elementalist that's a little slutty uh i can't remember one of my magic users is like she's wearing nothing and then i have my thief who has the under boob armor which i just think i just think it's funny Oh, yeah. I think it's funny to have your boob hanging out while you're stabbing somebody in the neck. And if that's your choice, then, hey, man. Yeah. I just, wrong with that. It makes me laugh, and so I play her that way. <laughs> it's just, I I'm a teenager. I would love to get boy. back into another MMO, but it's not good. It's at the time, think, I've thought about it, and I I keep thinking about it, so, which means at some point I am going to log back on well, this game. Thinks, every game's getting delayed, so you have some time. You're not wrong. See? You're not wrong. See? It's true. There you oh, go. no. So oh, is that what I'm going to be playing this week on the show? Please Maybe. do. I want to hear about it. Yes, ma'am. Um, listen, if you let Steimer talk about Guild Wars, we'll, we, we'll be here all day. It's true. All right, We've got up. lots but more I games to talk about. I love you're talking about. Look, how, look at her face. I just She's get so, so excited about Guild Wars. I just got to start playing it again. Yeah. 
<laughs> Guess we know Longing what she's downloading side. later tonight. Oh, it's already downloaded, girl. It's installed. I just have to do probably patches. Yeah. Lots of updates. Patches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Britt, what's yours? Uh, I'm going to say Divinity Original Sin 1 and Divinity Original Sin 2. I'm going to lump them together because it's fine. kind of the same I'm thing. I'm doing that with one of mine, too. Yeah, so I don't know if I've ever had more fun with a game in this decade. And I think part of it is because it's also co-op. And Jason and I play a lot of co-op games together. I think that's like the most fun I have when playing games. And what I love about it is it's essentially this huge huge world each game maybe took us like 110 115 hours to beat so there's a lot to do and they're just kind of like hey larry and Sudo, just go on and like do it try to break the game if you want you know go do the quest if you if you see a door that you need to get into but you don't have a key just hit the door for 15 minutes until it breaks like you can do those things you can go to a town and you can kill everyone if you want which is something Jason has done before, which is not good. He's murdered everyone, but Jason's so nice. Oh, no, he's an asshole in games. Complete oh, that's funny. Griefer. That's probably why he's nice in person. He gets it out inside the He gets the game. it out inside mm, games. I see you, Mutchamers. Mm-hmm. And so because we have two different play styles, you know me, I just want to save everyone. I want to do all the side quests. I want to do everything. He just wants to kill things and pickpocket things. It was really a testament to how well this game was crafted and built because you can get away with that. Mm-hmm. You can go to an entire town, and typically what I would do is, because I care about the story and the lore, he doesn't really, he just wants to fight things. He will, like, go off into town, like, take a left, I'll take a right, I'll start getting all the quests. And meanwhile, he's just pickpocketing everything, he's stealing everything, he's getting all of our potions and his spell books. And then I'll just, like, turn the corner and come around, and he has about three or four villagers that are mad at him, and now he's trying to kill them, and the guard sees us, now we have the whole guard. The whole village is coming after us. But does that mess with your quest? Yeah, you, you then you fail the quest automatically. So how are you not divorced? Because I feel like you I would be really because yeah. Like, yeah, I don't want that. Thankfully, to... Larian has the same kind of mechanic we were talking about earlier where you can just save whenever you want. So, oh, so you just roll uh, back your file. I just roll back. Mm. Yeah, I have to save about every 10 minutes yeah, when I'm that, playing with is him. Is that why it takes you so long to finish <laughs> No, probably. At, at first, yes, because he didn't understand. Like, you don't do that. I wanted we Because we'll play these games multiple times. The first time... No. I said stop it. I said stop fucking pickpocketing everyone. I know you're no, watching you can this. Pickpocket them, just be no. better at it. Well, so like that they don't know. <sighs> I know. But the, yeah, when you first start though, you're so bad at it. So That's it's why you pickpocket other shit that doesn't matter until you get really good and then you go to town uh, and I wish you I steal from logic. everybody. I will I am for the pickpocketing, Jason. <laughs> I love pickpocketing. No, it's the best. Games, it's so fun. But it, yeah, you got to do it. You right. got to be good. And sometimes you'll fail. But yeah, you know, so I, the first time we play, I always want to make sure I get everything, do all the quests. And then when we play through the second time, I'm like, go ahead, just kill, kill everyone. It's fine. It doesn't matter. We, I've yeah. already seen what this town has to offer. But it's just little things how you can cooperate with people. So if we are at a pickpocket, if let's say we wanted to pickpocket Andrea, right? You're the pickpocketer. I would walk up to her. I do try. And I stealth up next yes, to you. Reach into her butts. I would. Is that where you keep your stuff? Sometimes. Listen, don't judge. Okay, continue on. (laughs) So I would engage in a conversation with her, and then you would have to go behind her while she's distracted. But if there's other NPCs around, they'll see you. They'll see you. So then you have your party of four. Then you can control your other two party members and try to distract those people so they can't see us. You just make a really inconspicuous circle around somebody. If you You're don't like, don't enough, mind us. If you don't have enough, you can pick up barrels and like place her around a barrel so oh you can God. pickpocket her. Hey, ma'am, so ma'am, um, could we just uh, talk to you over? No, just over here, just a little, a little, a little more to the left. Yes, yes. Oh okay, gosh. great. You're just in position. You. Pickpocket. Yeah. So it's essentially, you know, it's a huge fantasy RPG. The combat is one of my favorite parts of this game. So it works in the sense that it's a CRPG. You have action points that you get every turn, and then each skill you want to do, every move you have, you have to use action points, and so. You, know, you have to make sure if you want to move three spots and then use your action points, you have enough, depending on what kind of skill you want to use. 
And it's so tactical and it's so much fun to play with another person because you have to strategize with them. And we play such different roles. I'm always the face tanker. Jason's always the mage. And then he usually will play That's the... good, though. Because mm-hmm. if you were both glass cannons, it'd be really hard. And, and he loves playing glass cannon. And so that also makes it interesting because then, you know, we have to make sure we tweak our strategy. all the time. Yeah, because he's really <laughs> strong, but he's a weak ass. He needs yeah. to stay in the back and pew Someone pew. blows on him. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. it's just... It's so incredibly fun. And it does have branching storylines and narratives and... It does have those old D&D mechanics of do you want to roll for like a charisma check or a perception or something like that. And then the choices you make do matter and the dialogue choices you make matter. And it's just such an incredible game and definitely I think the most fun I've had uh, this decade, past decade. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we know that you talk about Divinity quite a bit on the show, um, but no surprise that it makes your games of the decade for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'll do my combo right now, too. Um, coming as no surprise to anybody, Destiny 1 and Destiny 2 oh, what? certainly make my um, top games of the decade. I vividly remember seeing Destiny for the first time at E3 and playing it and just instantly falling in love. I have been a fan of of shooters and been a fan of first-person shooters for a while, but I hadn't really found a shooter franchise that I really, like, connected with. I had, you know, a relationship with Halo, but I kind of felt like I got a little... I don't want to say I got burnt by Halo, because I thought Halo 4 was a very good game, Um, but it just didn't resonate with me, and, like, the whole story of, of Master Chief just never really connected with me. And I think something about having my own guardian that I got to personalize and have that kind of um, immersion because I created this guardian Mm -hmm. really went a long way. From starting at the very first alpha of Destiny to playing all the way up now through, you know, the Shadowkeep DLC and the season that we're in and kind of seeing the evolution of Destiny as a franchise from when it started to where it is now has been phenomenal across the last, what has it been now, almost seven years since I saw it for the first time. Wow. Um, And that's scary. (laughs) I hate that. I mean, like, I hate it so much. It's just been, it's just been such an amazing experience for me, not only really gravitating towards a first person shooter and really kind of transitioning as a game player to playing a lot more shooting games than I did early in my um, time as a gamer, but also developing communities around Destiny. Obviously, I'm wearing my What's Good Guardian shirt if you're watching the video on YouTube, but I had an amazing clan for the original Destiny as well before you know we started What's Good Games. Um, and moving to San Francisco when I did in the fall of 2014 – um, it was really hard for me to find, you know, steady work for the first like six months. And so I really just kind of threw myself in to playing a lot of Destiny. And it was the House of Wolves expansion specifically that I kind of like really cranked up, like how often I was playing Destiny and how often I was playing with a clan and, and connecting with people. Shout out to Salmons Don't Die uh, for being my ride or die forever in Destiny. <coughs> and it's been so great forging even more relationships now with destiny two and the what's good guardians and being able to meet so many of them like IRL and having conversations and being invested in each other's lives that it's gone so much more, uh, gone so much um, further above just being a game or just being a clan. And so I think that's why it was really impactful for me, but not only that, I mean, coming back to the gameplay itself, having a game like destiny as repetitive as it is, and as hard as core fans can't deny its repetitive nature, we keep coming back to it over and over again because the gameplay is just so good. The level of polish that Bungie has put in the game is 
not to be understated and sure does it have bugs from time to time are there issues every game has them but i think what's great about it is watching how they have a studio are evolving every time they make a new announcement especially now that they've you know severed from activision <coughs> to really kind of take the community in their own hands and say we're excited to really see what the next evolution of destiny is mm. so i'm gonna get some water for a second foot and water yeah yeah <coughs> as we've said it's always fun to Check your temperature on the destinies. How you doing? Monday you love it. The next day, no. People yeah, always I love always it, but thought yes, another fine game <laughs> is Destiny for me, and so it. But I'm glad that you love it so much. You know, it's I, one of those things. I wish I wish I had loved it as much as you mm-hmm. do, because I wanted it to be that game. It just didn't turn out that way for me. And I understand why people have issues with it. I mean, Destiny is very much like a. It feels like it's like a black or white game. It's like at this mm. point you either play Destiny and you're or in, you, you love it, or you just you're you don't have time for it anymore. So, yeah, I think that's fair. Which is kind of a bummer because I wish more of my pl- friends played Destiny, but it's a game as service, you know. So it means it's cyclical, and even though they have seasons of content and reasons to log in all the time, I mean, there's gonna be times of the year where you just kind of like abandon it for a little while. Mm-hmm. I mean, that happened to me, you know, like I just kind of stepped away for a couple of months because I just got busy playing other stuff. But I always come back to it because it's like a, like a, what, what does Brittany say? She's like a, like a chicken soup for the soul kind of oh, a thing. Yes, yeah. Yes. Right? Like comfort food it's Comfort games. food games. It's like Destiny to me is a comfort food game that I know that I can boot up at literally any time and fall right back in and enjoy it and know what I'm getting and like love the characters and the kind of relationships that my guardian has in game with some of these NPCs and characters in the world and kind of seeing their relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that Bungie has expanded on the lore of destiny. And I, I really am just crossing my fingers pipe dream would love to get like a destiny story mode. That's like a legit first person shooter mm-hmm. game where it's, it's just like a campaign, like a full long, like 30 to 40 hour destiny campaign. Oh, that's that just would all be interesting. Story. Because there is so much lore in that, but the issue is you couldn't get it in game, right? You'd have to go somewhere else to learn all about the. Yes, I the, mean they've gotten better about about their grimoire mm-hmm. um, inserts now with where we're at with Shadowkeep. Because before you used to have to go to Bungie's website. That's right. Um, which was like, what? Why? Go to Bungie.com to learn all about the game you're currently <laughs> playing. <laughs> Bungie.net. Noob. Oh yeah, sorry, it's .net. My bad. <laughs> don't go to Bungie.com. I don't, I don't know. I could go on and on. I just. I love it, and it was a fantastic game, and I think it really, for me, defined the PS4 generation, having them have that marketing exclusivity with specific things with PlayStation from the beginning all the way up until very recently, where now, obviously, they're trying to do more with other other parties and mm-hmm. the stuff they're doing with Stadia and yada yada, but, I mean, I just love it so much, and it's, like, one of my all-time favorite franchises now. I can't believe seven years ago. I know. That's, that was the part that was tripping me out. Well, it's officially released, I believe, in the fall of 2014. But I, we saw it in 2013. Yes. When I was going through papers and I saw, I got like, I was like, oh, what is this? Oh, it's a thing from 2010. That wasn't that long ago. Wait. Oh. Wait, yes, it oh. was. <laughs> but yes. like, that's, I still like think. I still it's still so weird to think about. It's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which I guess is not in the scheme of things, but to yeah. us. I mean, yep. So September 9th, 2014, it was a cross-gen game. Remember, they had it for 360 mm-hmm. and PS3. Like, a lot of things were in those first couple of years. But, yeah. Back in my day. I love you, Destiny. You can't really see it on camera because it's kind of being cut off. But I've got my little Destiny shelf up here with my Grimoire book and my Ghost and my Cade. Double Cades. Cade. Yeah. 
All right, Steimer, you're up. Uh, I think I'll pick one that both Brittany and I have chosen, which is The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Get yes, that was, a, that was a great, great face Brittany just made. Um, so, obviously, uh, CD Projekt Red made a couple Witchers before this mm-hmm. one, hence the three in the title. But none were uh, as good as That's this true. one. The first game was fine. I liked the first two. They were, first they game was charm. fine. The I think the second game was, game was really underrated. I the do. second game was underrated. It just had a couple gameplay things where I was like, yeah. but why? Uh, but three was a masterpiece right so it's much more open world you can run around and explore to your heart's content but a lot of the side quests felt very fleshed out obviously they had a lot of like just collectible kind of shit too where you can wander around just pick that stuff up but anytime you really talked to a character in that game you felt like you were getting a glimpse into how those people lived in that town and maybe some of the problems that they were having and you could kind of play Geralt however you wanted you could be more true to what you know a witch you're supposed to be and that you're very indifferent to all of it or you can play him as more of a good guy or you can play him as kind of a dick oh yeah um so i i liked that they gave you a little flexibility but also not so much flexibility where it would have felt it would have really broken him off. as a character yeah right? exactly yeah. um and then i just think the whole story arc in general was really well done mm-hmm. and like it had a lot of great moments where like i think i cried at one point like oh, i was yeah. you know there was just it was a lot of it was an emotional roller coaster that they took us on, and I was very pleased with the way it turned out. And I do think some people were saying that like maybe you felt like you could get a little lost in the world of it, but I actually felt like they did a good job keeping the nar- me interested in the main narrative while also interesting me in these side things. But I never felt fully lost in what was going on mm-hmm. on the main quest, and I was never like. What was I doing? Like, there are some, definitely some other RPGs I've played over the years where you just completely forget. Like, what am I doing again? What am I Why doing? Am I Why am yeah. I here? What is yeah. my purpose? But I always felt like I knew that, even if I was, you know, betting some whores in a oh, house so somewhere. Yeah. Like, you know, just kind of playing what I want. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> I remember it kind of like with Kratos, but not to such a great extent. Geralt's old. Old man Geralt, yeah. right? And yeah. like, especially compared to the first two where he's this young stud muffin you know getting cards of all the women he's banging and he's kind of like woo in this game you know he has more responsibilities he has siri yennefer's back in the picture you got oh my Tris, god yennefer you know and the- seeing how he dealt with all of that it's like okay he's softened up a little bit which i think is natural to come with age and experience he's not this crazy wild i'm a young man anymore i hope he never sounded like that that would that would be that, amazing that'd be weird <laughs> I'm like, that'd be weird that'd be, be hilarious but they did a really good job at evolving him and I just love Geralt. He's just such a fun character. I was super, super stoked that they find like because the third game is the only game Yennefer's in. Mm-hmm. She does not appear in the other two. Um, Triss does, but you know, there's no Yen to be found. So like, they really needed to kind of nail getting her right, especially for fans of the books. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like they did. Like she's powerful, and a lot of times, I think I made back when I had my other channel made a whole video on like why Yennefer is not a bitch and here's why like (laughs) because I feel like it's so easy to just write her off that way Mm -hmm. but I'm like no actually it's like it's a little more complicated than that and like the way she's acting is for a reason and here's Mm -hmm. why and um actually some of the things that she's doing are compassionate but like you just might not read them that way right and I remember playing that game and you just are in your roach you're just trotting along you just come through all these little villages and I don't remember the last game where I've had that where you're just you're just like going about your business just exploring and then there's like all these people living their lives in their own little tiny poor ass village 
you know, doing shit. And you could stop in there. Maybe you'd have interesting conversation with someone. And then you would just go on your merry way. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so good. And I love all those characters. Like Dandelion, for example, is so funny. I think he's funny. Yes. The, <clears throat> the shenanigans he gets in. And I think he's so great to Geralt, especially in that game, too. Because the things Dandelion gets himself in, Geralt's like, oh, here we go again. Why yeah. do I need to bail you out of this Dandelion time, Dandelion is the comedic relief. Yeah, he's so good. Of the situation. It's so funny how they're friends. And I mean, the other comedic relief that is not was not intended was Roach. Oh, Roach herself, the Roach. random bugs because those oh, were seen all over. Yeah, they were the pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, lots of them. Just roaches sure. on the roof, and you're like, "What? <laughs> Get down from there! What oh are you doing?" Gosh. But yeah, that's such means, a good game. The game was just really, really um, well crafted and well populated. So, like, yeah, you felt like you were able to just ride around and explore and discover new things and learn about those people there and pass judgment on them basically and be yeah. like, am I going to kill all of you or am I going to leave you be? I remember the E3 presentations before that game came out. What year did that come out? 2015? 2014? 2015. 2015? Yeah. I remember the E3 demos behind closed doors. You know, you just be, they would show Geralt wandering through the plains or whatnot and they say, okay, see that house back there? If you go back there, there's a really interesting mission and it's going to spiral into three other missions, but we're not going to do that. By the way, it's totally optional. And I remember at the time, like, I think we see that a little bit more now in games, but at the time, that was a mind-blowing thing. Like, really? Like, I can just go over there and start this thing? It's not just there, because the world was so huge. So much to see and do and discover. Yeah, and I think, I think again, it's a, it's a testament to the studio, right? I remember, like, thinking how radical some of the philosophies CD Projekt Red um, had in, in relationship, not only to the way that they make their games, but also... And how they publish and sell their games. Because, you know, right in the middle of the decade is kind of where it started to this whole idea of people getting very um, kind of like turned up about microtransactions and the segmentation of games and DLCs and having it be having it feel like you were not getting the value for your game purchase as you were getting as you had previously. (coughs) The Witcher 3 kind of came in as a breath of fresh air to say, hey. We believe in our vision for this game. We put our heart and soul into making this gigantic world with all of these quests, and we're going to put it in the game. And then they, when they did add DLC, it was, a, it was a giant offering, right? So, I mean, it was just a lot for your money. Yes, yes, yes yeah. it was. You go, you go ahead and you take Don't care of the coffee <laughs> while I mentioned how uh, I, okay. yeah, yeah. one of the things I really liked about it was the way you, you as Geralt getting to build those relationships the way you wanted with – I mean, yes, technically they're the romantic ones, but, mm-hmm. you know, like with Yennefer and with Triss and like oh, the way they yeah. tied in the last wish uh, oh. into the game and then being like, okay, well now you basically get to decide like, did was that what it was, was or that? was it not? God, like, that's so good. And um, yeah, so, and I think one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing, this game is very old. I'm gonna, I mean, whatever. There's a battle of Kara Morin and <gasps> when... There's like basically people are attacking the fortress and Yennefer basically just like force fields the whole thing. So badass. And I was like, ah, I love this is you. so cool. She's so strong and beautiful and I love so her. Pretty. She smells of like a gooseberry. Oh my God. Um, there was a moment. I think it was also that when, okay, I'm going to spoil someone who dies during that fight. Oh, What's his name? The Vesemir. Vesemir. So... The Vesemir Papa Vesemir, oh no. my god and you know he, he was in the first game right and it's yeah, like you kind of like grow attached he's, he's basically like your mentor yeah I was gonna say father figure I mean what? he kind of is a father yeah, figure I think too so. I think the respect is there for sure between Geralt and him was rip 
so after that scene happens, you know, Siri and Geralt want to get revenge, right? They want to get who was ever responsible for that. And there was a scene where I don't, they're just on their way. They're in a boat and they're just like crossing some river to get somewhere. I'm not sure where it was, where they're going. But what I remember is that moment was so impactful. I was sobbing that I made sure I recorded the scene on my PlayStation and I took a screenshot and I put it on a big canvas and it's now in my house. Oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's in my hallway. And uh, because I remember that scene, I mean, I really like Vesemir. He was, an, you know, in no, that. Vesemir was great. And the, yeah, and the fact that Geralt really respected him. And, you know, because Geralt doesn't show a lot of emotions. He doesn't no. have any emotions. It's just the way he's wired. I mean, he kind of does. But, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, but, and, and I think even actually to that point, so when you were bringing that up, I'm like, they had the whole element, you know, obviously you have the romantic relationships with, mm-hmm. with uh, again, for interests. And, whatever horror you choose to bed but the the main relationship you are building and working on is with siri Mm -hmm. and i think that was really fun to see uh Geralt be kind of like a dad maybe we just like seeing dads i don't know because i was just like wait it was kratos and now the same thing with Geralt, where you're like oh he's a big grass like griff dude but he has a heart of gold or whatever and it was fun to see how that game was a little it was much different in the sense uh you know from mm-hmm. from the uh, well, I was gonna say from the Kratos game from God of War, <laughs> brain is a little on the fritz today, but that's okay. Um, where because you know in God of War, yes, you are obviously like sort of molding your son, but you don't have a whole lot, like whole lot of control over it. Right. It's just kind of as the game progresses, that's what happens. But with this, the decisions that you make with Siri, the way you teach her how to behave, or the way you boost her or don't, or make like like the whatever you it is that you're you're doing when you're interacting with her makes it hell of a difference oh i know end. and if oh. you play it wrong i will oh. say it's wrong because she dies oh, yes like she like she can die or she can live and it's a lot about your parenting skills which i think is so Ugh. much pressure it's so much pressure because i pride myself on being someone who typically makes all the right decisions mm-hmm. she died in mine she did she did i didn't i like i made when i went back and looked because you can obviously look up on right. the internet exactly which decisions make which impact there was like one i think there was maybe two that i got quote unquote wrong mm-hmm. and and, but that was like the bare minimum that you can get wrong with, uh, with oh. her living. So like I just by the skin of my got teeth. Got it. Yeah, I don't even know. I think I may have been too far gone. And I was so surprised by this because, uh, you know, I, I save a lot. And so I was like, OK, well, I'll just reload a save and lose a few hours of progress. But yeah, oh, no, because no. they way would, back they there. start really early. Yeah. yeah, I was just screwed. So I think I forgot that ending and I just had to look it up on the YouTube. But. Well, I think we can move on to the next game. Andrea is still not back, but you and I could talk about this. Uh, yes. Dragon Age Inquisition uh, yes. is my one of my next favorite games, right? Yeah. Of yeah. The decade. Of the decade. Of the decade. And it's funny talking to you about these games because I feel like when we were playing these, we were just texting nonstop back and forth. About yes. The I think we I making. texted you approximately 20 screenshots of my character. <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't get it right. And then I was like, she looks pretty. And, and then you were like, like she's fine. Just start the game. And I was like, I can't. I'm going to remake her. <laughs> and then, yeah, you would remake her. And you'd make her. I was I'd like, be like, well, what about this one? What, this version or this version? Which version oh, do you like? I have two saves ready God. to go with both of them. Oh, wait. I don't like either of them. I'll make another And set. I so badly wanted to chat with you about the beginning of Inquisition. But you're like, no, I'm still building it my character. It took me 20 hours to get through the first 30 minutes of that game yeah so dragon age origins is also one of my favorite games of all time yes it's a great game. amazing amazing game dragon age 2 i appreciate its importance again should not have been called dragon Age. should not 2. have been called dragon age 2 but if you can get past that and just appreciate it for the story it tells because it tells a very important story that leads yes, up to it inquisition does. yeah 
very important. Although I don't know what happened to Alistair's face in Dragon Age 2. It was not good. He had some weird plastic surgery. I don't know what happened to baby boy. He was so hot in Origins. And no, then I, uh, little nips and tucks will get, catch yeah. up to you sometimes. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. But no, Dragon Age Inquisition, man. It just it just took or- the lore and story from Origins into and just turned it into this beautiful masterpiece of a game. And there was just so much to see and do. And it was... By where I feel, I know like there's a lot of crunch that went to Inquisition, so that's obviously terrible. But it's crunch with pretty much any video game we've mentioned. That's true. Um, But it's just peak Bioware, where they just made an amazing, excellent masterpiece of a game. I think my favorite thing about Inquisition—it's technically not on my list—but I I do appreciate the game for what it was. But I think what was really special about what the writing team did was making a villain you actually respected and understood because of how that all unfolded and i was just like that was brilliant Mm -hmm. and i honestly didn't see it coming maybe i should have but i was just i was floored and i loved that and so like that's why i'm very eager for the next installment but obviously they need to figure out what it is and how to make it correct but oh yeah um i am just like waiting for my revenge on egg fucking egg Egg. I, egg. I, I want I can't I want somebody like who has no idea what we're talking about when we say that oh yeah because to write eggs. into the show and be like what's this thing about eggs you don't like eggs they're full of protein I played through a lot of inquisition and sorry I had to step off I had to go get my inhaler I was having a little asthma attack um I still don't understand and I played through that whole game don't understand what like the whole egg thing. Obviously, his, he's got a bald his head. His head looks like, like an egg. Yeah. That's, that's just that's it. literally we're, we're it. We're just being assholes because he's such a. Oh. It's just a. It's yeah, a no, jab. I it's hated a, him as a character. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's basically just a derogatory name because he's an asshole. He is. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Right, your head looks Rrr. like an egg." Rrr. Yeah, I call you egg. <laughs> I just think about all the options you had to do in that game. Skyhold was so cool. Mm-hmm. You had all your characters. You had this huge fortress. Making your decisions in the war room. How you're going to deal with certain. You know, little instances oh, that Colin. popped up, right? The romance scene with Colin was just like, oh, oh my God, so good. Got to climb that ladder naked, though. So I have to be like, hold okay, on, I'll, I'll meet you there in a minute. Oh, nice view. <laughs> did you, did you, did you? Yeah, and so I, who goes first? <laughs> these are the deepest questions of our time, <laughs> yes. ladies and gentlemen. I'm wondering Anyways, who would go first. <laughs> the girl, probably. Probably, yeah, I would, uh, it was probably the better view. Uh, yeah, anyway, Inquisition. Yeah, the characters were so well done and written, and even in the DLC. When you got to marry Colin, mm-hmm. do you remember that? Um, only think about it every day. I know it's kind of amazing. I mean, like he's always her number one husbando. Whenever we have to yes. talk about husbandos, yeah. like Colin is the best. I think yeah, I think Colin's my number one or Alistair, one or the other. Anyway, yeah. So Inquisition, just like think peak Bioware, like they made such an incredible game. So I said it again about masterpiece and just the exploration. How I mean, even those maps were so big. You remember when everyone's like, "Oh, it's like Skyrim back in the day." That was the example but uh i love i loved it i never got bored of it it was just fun to explore you never knew what you were going to find or come across you can tell everything had been handcrafted and like what if the character goes this way what are they going to find and there was a story to be told anywhere you went and oh. so yeah i actually really i liked that they actually didn't do it skyrim so like that it wasn't fully Different open areas, world yeah. and that you could be like nah, i'm just gonna load over here load over here yeah. i actually feel like again maybe i'm just old now but that's sort of the style that I prefer for mm-hmm. quote unquote open world games. Like I don't want an open world game. What I want is for you to make me some maps that are open world. Like an instanced game. Yeah. Yeah. Just, fuck, yeah. just make me some nice maps that are populated. Well, that's what I want. Oh, an iron bowl and 
Dorian. They had a lot of really great character arcs. Oh in yeah, Inquisition, mm-hmm. and even um, you know, like yeah, Blackwall, and like oh yeah, like, yeah, uh, Dorian. And, oh, like, there's just Blackwall. so many, oh, so God. many characters that had a very different so point of view. And I loved the way some, they tied some of that to the DLC, mm-hmm. and that some of the decisions that you made before, where as I I considered to be the quote unquote correct thing, totally bit me in the ass later. And I was like, oh, what? And then <laughs> I was like, you know what? Okay, I kind of get it. But oh my God, like it's interesting. You are sort of teaching these other people like what you value and then therefore they value it and they act in turn and i was like damn maybe i am a heartless person <laughs> i don't know <laughs> because oh, some man. of the things that i yeah. did i was like this is for the greater good and then later i was like oh yeah you are just doing to me what i did to you Whoops. and that was maybe not the best <laughs> mm-hmm. and something else i loved about it was i feel like if you started inquisition this could be seen as a positive or negative but you didn't know much about dragon age origins or two or the lore you probably would get a little lost. It gets real confusing. Like, like oh me. yes, there you go. Right? Yeah, yeah. It goes it goes hard into the lore um, <laughs> vocabulary pretty quick. It does, and there's a whole bunch of. I mean, back in the day, I used to spend hours just like on the Dragon Age Wikipedia and just learning about the history. I have all the history of Thetis books, and I read them. And you know, so I appreciated that because I felt like, yeah, you know, they're not because it's such a fascinating world that I think it would have been a disappointment if they had just kind of baby ass baby mode, like the lore aspect of it, because it would have felt kind of like you're skimming it. And I feel like with this way, the story went, you couldn't really do that. And would have had the impact at the end. Like what's the dread wolf? Well, if you don't know that, then you probably don't give a rat's ass as to what's happening right now. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I can see as a good as bad or a bad thing for you probably wasn't the best. I mean, I did feel lost quite a bit of the time. I mean, they did a good job of world building, but there was a lot of those, legacy relationships that I didn't have an understanding of and that they didn't really do a good job of setting up. Right. Right. And like there could have been tricks for that, but I know that every game dev feels obligated to say, Oh, if you've never played the series, don't worry, you'll be able to get right into it. But like, that's just not the case every time. And Mm-mm. it's, yeah, it's okay. Fair. It's okay for you to just be honest and say, it would be helpful if you at least like watch the YouTube video, watch the video oh, yeah. or read some cliff notes or yeah. check out the wiki or something to be like, you know, we wanted to build upon a foundation of people who have seen these characters through since we started the franchise. And I think that that's admirable. I think that it also rewards fans who have been with the franchise to say, we want to just like keep building and not have to feel like we have to make this game for everyone. Yeah. But it's generally not the, except it's not the, it's not the way to market your game according to marketing bros. Right. Well, it restricts sales ultimately. Right. And when you restrict sales, like it hurts the dev teams and, then ultimately it hurts the properties because they won't get made again. So I get it. I just, it's no, frustrating. So, and I also think there's even an element of it that's unintentional, right? Where it's just you are, everyone's inherently biased with the information that they know and they have. Yeah. So it's hard for me to speak in a way, like what, if I only spoke French, I'd be like, I'm speaking French. You guys would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm, I do French. not, no, I cannot. Oh, um, but <laughs> no, but <laughs> But, like, the point is, like, I have this knowledge base, but I don't know what you know or right. don't know until I start saying things, and then you tell me you don't know them. So, like, right. it could kind of be hard if you are in a dev team. Everybody knows it. Right? Yeah, yeah. To be, to be gut-checking and being like, does this sentence make sense if you've never heard of these characters before? Like, right. I don't know if they necessarily mm-hmm. had those touch points um, or, honestly, how fre- – how – not frequent – how common that would even be. Sure. But – Yeah. Oh, God, so good. Yeah. Man, I hope the next one doesn't suck. We all 
hope that. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Dragon Age 4. We'll have eventually. Come on, more dragons in the ages. Well, I'm glad that you brought mm. up Skyrim oh. because no games of the decade list would be complete without talking about the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, which makes my list. Now, we talked about it beforehand, and you two were kind of like, well, I just didn't really get into it, or it's too buggy. And this I mean, and I played it for oh, at least 100 hours, but yeah, it was just, the bugs were <coughs> driving me mental. I think, like any great, long-lived Bethesda game, the bugs were part of the experience. Not when they broke all of my quests. I never subscribed to the idea that jank is a feature, by the way. I think that they absolutely like need to fix them, but I think what was interesting and great about Skyrim just talking about it from a bug standpoint is that it reminded you just how big that world was and how amazing what Bethesda Game Studios um, effort was to make a world where you could literally walk from one end to the other and then it's just you get to explore all this amazing landscape and how diverse each of the different sections of Skyrim are so this was my first time playing the Elder Scrolls series and I remember going to E3 and seeing this behind closed doors demo and Todd Howard gave the presentation. And I, at that time, I did not know who Todd Howard was. Hmm. I was just like, oh, yeah, he works on the game, obviously. I did not realize he was like the Todd Howard. Todd. Um, and it was so fascinating to me watching this like 45 minute presentation about everything that they were changing and upgrading and doing differently for the Elder Scrolls V. And then when it finally came time to play the game, I was kind of blown away by how quickly I got sucked into that world because I didn't think that I would because normally I'm not like a big open world RPG fan. It just wasn't my thing. There's just too much choice and it was mm-hmm. overwhelming. But something about Skyrim really hooked me and I played hundreds and hundreds of hours of this game. And I think it's also a, it's worth recognizing that this game spawned an incredible wave of content creation on YouTube. So this was right when I was working at Machinima, one of the top multi-channel networks back when multi-channel networks were a thing. And we had so many creators that were making Machinimas inside Skyrim, using the engine, using mods, all kinds of really fun stuff. Yeah, dude, the modding scene of that game was super fun to watch. Yeah. Thomas the Tank Engine. It's so good. (laughs) And it's, I think that, People make things like that in games because they love it and they want to keep spending time in the game and they, you know, want to find ways to stay engaged even if they've completed everything. It was one of the few games that I had to remind myself to go back and do the main quest line because it's so easy to get sidetracked just doing, you know, guild quest lines or uncovering a new town or just like walking through the wilderness and seeing what you can find. And I think that there's so few RPGs that kind of nail that sense of exploration and kind of reward you for it because there's been other RPGs, you know, that have come and gone that I've enjoyed, but it it doesn't never quite feels like Elder Scrolls Mm -hmm. and it's forever something that people compare other RPGs against for a reason. And I just loved this game and I spent so much time with it and it was the game that didn't die. We kept making jokes about it. Even Bethesda made a joke about it and they made it on Alexa because they were getting so much internet uh, memes about, like, what's the next platform that Skyrim's going to be released on. To, yeah. And so they were like, let's just lean in. I played let's it on Alexa it. for a while. That was a fun That's night. So. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, pours, I poured myself a glass of whiskey, <laughs> and she was like, okay, you're doing this. You come across two paths. Where do you go? What do you want to do? You'd have a fight, and you have to tell her, like, what action what you wanted do. to take. Yeah, that was fun. When you were talking about Skyrim, my brain immediately pulls up a few memories. One is a bug that was funny, and it... It basically, after you kill the first dragon in the town, 
I like you leave the town and you come back and the skeleton randomly just falls out of the sky. I screamed <laughs> because I didn't know what was. It's just like all of a sudden there was a dragon falling from the sky, but it was just the bones. And I it startled me. <laughs> and then the other thing that I love about it, and this is not the only game that's done this, but I just the lines are re- repeat in my head. So I played like a stealthy character archer. Mm. So I remember like picking off people and you'd be like, okay, I kill your two guards. I kill you. And then you walking up and being like, what was that? And then being like, I guess it was the wind or whatever. And you leave me like, your friend is dead and you just saw their body. What are you talking about? It's the wind. Wind Wind doesn't, well, can kill people, but probably not in that way. And it it was just like, I I remember cracking up and thinking about that. There was a lot of like funny things like that where Skyrim is technically a, I don't know. I don't want to say a serious world, but you know, it can be. And, but it also has, it also has those moments of levity with, with what what is that oh nothing my friends are all dead i'm the only one left well it's like that first town that you come to at the very beginning of the game where if you accidentally like kill a chicken or something like the whole town like mobs you i learned that lesson the hard way i mean i'm you know zelda player obviously i was like oh chicken i'm gonna hit it see what happens oh no that was a big mistake i love skyrim it was uh definitely i was very addicted to it for a while it was the thing when i was still working full-time for somewhere else and i would come home and i'd have to get up at like four in the morning to drive down to work that next day but i'd play until 12 just thinking like wishing i could just play skyrim like it was all i was thinking about but i think my problem was i just never got past this first or second dragon or maybe the first one i don't remember i know i got the shout who's rudolph and then i only got one shout. You only got one shout. Yeah, maybe i got a couple more because there's another one there's like a bunch of shouts yeah. No, there's game, a, yeah. yeah but i had a couple i rewrite i only i remember that one and then another one but my thing is I just got lost exploring. Like, I just mm-hmm. loved walking through, finding a cave. Ooh, it's a, it was good in here. What's in here? Or maybe it's a tomb or something. And that is so right up my alley. That's the kind of high fantasy stuff that I really love. I love that nerdy, nerdy shit. Um, but I think I put, like, 80 to 90 hours into that game. But I never got past a few of the missions. Because you can do that. Because you just lose yourself. And I so badly want to go back and play it and actually experience it. But, like, hello, that's never going to happen. So Why? I know. Why I'm not? not doing that. Uh, well, the time for one, like there's too many things coming out. That's true. And I'll wait for the next. The one. beauty and curse of what we do is like I could play Skyrim, but are people going to care about my thoughts and opinions on it more than like Kakarot or more about like Final Fantasy seven or, you know, it's just, you know, we talk about that. We're open about that someday. Maybe, maybe next will be my next holiday game. Yeah. I think you would really enjoy it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Know. It's it nails that RPG um, progression loop where you are allowed open world exploration. And so that means you're absolutely going to stumble into a dungeon that you are not prepared or power <laughs> powerful enough for, but you're going to try it anyway. And then you ultimately leave cause you keep dying. And then you come back later when you're like boss and you're like, I kill all of you with one hit now. And I love that you can That's customize so yeah. your character how you want. And I remember I was trying to work on my sneak. So I'd mm-hmm. go into you the guard sneak everywhere. I would go into the guard barracks when it was daytime, I think this is how you do it. And then I would sleep until it was dark when they're all sleeping. Now all the guards are in their little beds. And then I would just crouch and walk back and forth across the room. And that really increased my sneaking. I'm like, oh, I love this broken game. <laughs> yeah. I also loved that you could put like a pot over someone's head and then steal all of their shit. Yep. Wait, really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because they can't see you. Oh, oh, oh. Like cover the, the pot. Oh. You just cover it. It's like putting a 
blanket over a birdcage. The bird can no longer yeah. see you. They think it's time for bed. <laughs> but it's a human sitting or whatever creature behind. It was just so, like, I loved that the game allowed you that freedom to be weird. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I love Divinity so much is that same sort of thing. And that's, I didn't know you could do that. That's really funny. Oh, I, I definitely I'm glad you brought this game up. It yeah. didn't make my list, but it was really fun. Uh, for me, like, it, it's one of the most definitive games of the last decade sure. for how prolific it was, being cross-generational, all the different ports that's gotten over the last couple of years, and just kind of seeing the work that Bethesda did on it, and really more so how so many other games are compared mechanic-wise against Skyrim and against the Elder Scrolls franchise and everything that they've kind of created or innovated in the open world RPG landscape with that franchise. And I think it's just no list would be complete without it. So, okay. Um, we each have, I believe, three left. So we'll take one more very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to round out our top five games of the decade. Welcome back, everybody. Of course, we are talking about our favorite games of the decade here on the What's Good Games podcast. And now we're going to kind of finish up with where we're at with our personal picks. So, Steimer, mm -hmm. you're up. All right. We're going to go to the Wild Wild West. Straight to the Wild Wild West. The original, though, the original Red Dead Redemption Yay, is still... Still, to me, one of the best games ever made. Um, I just feel like the story of John Marston was so compelling. I was so distraught by the ending of that game. I, But I also then loved the way that they picked it up and, like, carried it forward. Mm -hmm. uh, there were so many things that they did really well with it. Also, it was just super fun to run your, ride around on your horse oh, yeah. and just be like, I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to go over there. Kind of like we talked about with other open world games. Mm -hmm. It was fun to just run around and explore. But um, maybe conversely, I don't know. what. Like, mm -hmm. it, the emptiness was actually part of the appeal. Right. You know, it's kind right. of what I'm trying to say. Like, it would be naturally empty. It's the fucking desert. Like, mm -hmm. it's so there's. But sometimes you'll get your ass attacked by a puma. And <laughs> the uh, it's always fun. Yeah. When you have like wildlife that just comes out of nowhere and tries to eat your horse and you're like oh why that sucks yeah but yeah. there were so many like cinematic moments of that game too i still remember when the the first song plays when you enter in mexico and oh. there are so many really interesting defining moments um that have just stuck with me after all these years because that game released in 2010 yeah that's hard to believe and i'm like i still remember so much of it mm -hmm. and everybody who's listened to this podcast should know that my memory is garbage so the fact that i remember a majority of this game i also 100 percent of this game oh, that's right yeah. not the trophies or achievements but i did everything you could do in the game which includes knifing a bear to death and <laughs> it was very difficult i don't know why i was just like i wanted more i just wanted to keep playing this game and so any stupid thing task it was going to give me i was going to do and one of the yeah that was one of the stupid tasks um mm -hmm. and so like obviously i loved red, red dead redemption too but it didn't have the same impact, impact as the first game did and again i kept thinking like maybe i played this wrong maybe i did something wrong maybe that's why i got maybe that's why this is happening to me but then kind of realizing like no this is the way it was always gonna go um you've really just been buying time 
and that's it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it was really powerful to me, and I I just still think about it. At least it prepared us for RDR too. Yeah. Nothing happy was ever going to happen in the game. Anyway, yeah. So Red Dead Redemption, I also feel like that was just yesterday, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, I was twenty one. Wow. Little baby, <sighs> little baby. I had just moved back in with my parents because I was doing that crazy three-hour commute every day, and I was like, "No more! I'm moving closer to work." And my parents were right there, so I stayed with them for a few months. And it was at that time I was playing Red Dead Redemption, and that was the first game I'd ever played that had that Western setting to it. And mm-hmm. I never had played one before, obviously. So I was so surprised with how much I loved it. Like I love games now in Western settings. Granted, the only other one I've played besides RDR one and two, I think, is West of Clothing, which does not count, but it kind of does. That's a really cute game. That's that was stick. I did, yeah, I played that for yeah. a bit. Um, but I also just love the world, and it was just so beautiful. I remember for the time, it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous game. And I remember you could just gallop through the emptiness and look up and see like a hawk circling above your head, and you could shoot yep. it if you wanted to. But you know, you were good. <laughs> yeah, and back then, again, like for me, that was kind of a new concept with these big open world games where you can just kind of do whatever you want and take your sweet baby time. And that, I mean, obviously, the ending we talked about life a lot on the show but I've never been so heartbroken I think before and never had experienced a game with so much loss like that and how tragic it was and yeah it also just really stuck with me and poor poor baby poor Mr. Marston such a compelling character he was trying to do good he was trying to turn his shit around and then nothing good happened because of it see I never gravitated towards that storyline and never gravitated towards Marston as a character and having finished Way Dead Redemption 2, I definitely think very differently of John Marston as a character now, having, you know, seen everything mm-hmm. that he goes through um, with um, with Arthur. But there was just something about it. I played probably like 20 hours of that game, and it just never clicked for mm. me. It happens. Yeah. I remember playing Blackjack. The guy. No. Poker. Poker. You played yeah, poker. Yeah. yeah. And I did not have to play poker at the time. So I'd call my dad in because, again, I was living at home and he'd come in. We would just play poker for hours. It was just a fun time. And he was into it because he always watched Westerns growing up. So I saw him and, man. Yeah. Memories. Brittany, what's your next? What's your next? All right, I'm all pick. sad and blargy now. Um, I know. Let's see. It was a sad pick. God. I'm sorry. No, no. It's okay. Um, I guess I could talk about another lovely upbeat game the last of us oh boy you guys knew this game was gonna make somebody's list yeah so i have a kind of a bad memory also when it comes back to like older games that i i remember how they made me feel but Mm -hmm. i don't remember like why i felt that way or why i cared so much obviously the last of us kind of speaks for itself i think everyone not everyone but most people would say that's just like a masterpiece so i went through and i was reading some of my old blog posts i made when i was playing the last of us for the first time back in when this game came out 20 uh, 13, 13. I think. yeah so seven years ago ish i was reading some stuff and from, that i wrote seven years ago and the things i said in that blog post were really cute it's like i have never been so immersed into a game before like this the sound design the audio it's also i mean the, that game is all about sound design. oh it is yeah and that game blew me away too because this was like right when i was kind of getting into the my video game career and i mean i'd be doing a couple years but i hadn't quite like tuned in that critical you know little thing you get when you play games critically you kind of like start to appreciate certain things and that was the first game that I really appreciated the sound design in that game and it's one spot in particular that I remember so distinctly you're making an escape I think it's towards the beginning of the game and you have to hide in some metal container or you're trying to get some cover from the rain or whatnot but the second you step inside that metal container the the sound changes from rain falling to rain hitting something metal 
And I just thought that was so cool and it completely blew me away. And I was like, oh my God, this game. And I just had a huge soft spot for Joel. Ellie was, this is interesting, reading my um, commentary on the game. I didn't really click with Ellie for some reason. Like I didn't really vibe with her all that much, but I really loved Joel, who's a big softy. And at the end, I didn't really care. So I'm spoiling The Last of Us here if you've never played it. It didn't it was really, seven years ago. Yeah, comes yeah. Out. and we, yeah, it's. I feel like they've spoiled it themselves at certain points too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't really care what was happening to Ellie, but I cared how it was impacting Joel. I was like, he's so sad right now. You know, he finally found something worth fighting for, and now it's gonna be taken away from him, and he's not gonna let it. And at the end, when you're running through the hospital, I think it's a hospital or it's a compound. It's a. It's basically. It is. I think it was at one point yeah. like a medical mm-hmm. center. It's now their base. And all the fireflies are shooting at him. I thought for sure he would get shot and be killed, and I was all sad about it. I was just crying through the whole scene. And that was, again, like one of the first games that really I was like, oh, my God. See, I remember the ending, but for a different reason. Yeah. And it was because I didn't like it. That's, I did oh, not, I remember you I did not yeah. like the Rambo-style Joel mm. kind of flipping out and murdering all of these people. To me, it felt like somebody just flipped a switch and was built a different game randomly at the end oh. because the whole game up until that point for the most part is all about quiet and how quiet can you be and how can you maneuver through these enemies without mm. hopefully alerting all of them because if you do you're dead and then i mean you have a little bit of it when like the people come and joel's injured and you have to kind of like <laughs> murder everyone as ellie but i just i don't know from even with that I felt like the ending, that part, I should just specify that part of the mm-hmm. gameplay felt out of place to me. Not the actual ending itself. I totally believe that Joel would like run in and try and get her out of there. Yeah. I just, as soon as it picked up like the camera cuts and you have control over him again, I thought it was going to be a massive stealth section. I thought it was going to be like, you need to try and get to this door without alerting everyone because there's so many people here. Mm-hmm. Statistically, someone's going to hit you. Like, that's just math. So I don't, that part I didn't like. Because it was too different from... It was too yeah, different okay. from everything else. It was too far That's taken fair. out of reality for me. Granted, obviously, all of it's not reality, but mm-hmm. it when is the game supposed follows, to be more... It, right. it had, a, it had a, a lore to it, and so for it to be... It kind of, in that moment, uh, was dishonest with itself, kind of. Interesting. I, I think I, the way I perceived it was it's he's he slipped. He snapped. Oh. Like, his baby girl is going through some shit, and if he doesn't... Totally. But I can see that too. I was I was thinking it was going to be like a, st- a fast stealth, right? Like just be like, you're trying to move as quickly as fucking possible, like around the edges and th- in, in the shadows and remaining there mm-hmm. and not being alerted to, you know, your position. And then you could bust in the room and either kill the doctor or not kill it. I did not. Yeah. That was nice. I don't think I did either. I was just like, I threaten you. You put her down. Okay, you go. You go about your life. <laughs> Maybe I did kill her. Um, I don't remember. And, uh, and then, yeah, you take it. I, but I do really love the ending moment of Ellie basically being like, you sure? You sure that's what happened? And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Definitely. (laughs) And then she's like, all right. You know, she's just like, what, at this point, what can I do? Mm -hmm. I'm going to just, we're going to move on from this. Yeah. And as intense as that game was and how much it made me want to shit my pants, there are those beautiful in-between moments where it was just quiet. And it was just you and Ellie going about your business, having those that banter and those conversations. And I think that also was so beautifully well done and so well placed. I hope we have that in the second one. Such a good game. Yeah. I think it really, you know, it cemented Naughty Dog as a studio that focuses on the impact of narrative in video games. And they have now forever been known as, you know, one of the top tier narrative developers. You know, they make amazing stories. I think for me, I still have the same frustrations with gameplay. And, like, I 
do appreciate that they did focus on some of those quieter moments, but I just, as a player need more game in my games. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I think that there was just certain parts of it that didn't resonate with me, but I do love what they did with Ellie and Joel as characters and the relationship that they built and like this really interesting story that they told about, you know, an infection and how it's different than like your typical like zombie story and how, you know, there's these factions and how they interact with each other. And I'm very much looking forward to what they're going to do with the last of us part two. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I would probably not have picked this in my top, but I get why people did. I have a whole list of games here that I'm like, I absolutely understand why somebody would pick these to be in the games of the decade, but they just weren't for me. Mm -hmm. But a game that was for me that did come out in this past decade that probably is not going to make anybody else's list, but I spent probably more hours playing this one game than any other game. Paragon. Oh, I know. So sad. So Paragon was a third-person MOBA multiplayer online battle arena game from Epic Games that was released on PC and PS4. And that's how I got into it because it was a console MOBA that was third-person, but it felt more like an action game or even more like a third-person shooter than a MOBA. And it was really the game that got me into the MOBA genre where I got to learn all of the kind of very specific gameplay pillars that define what a MOBA is. And I had played Smite and I had played a little bit of League and um, I never was going to attempt to try Dota. It just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, And I had played a couple other MOBAs up until then, but for some reason there was something about Paragon specifically that just grabbed me. And I played probably over 800 Mm -hmm. hours of Paragon, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, had an amazing crew that I rolled with playing Paragon as well, but I also would just dump, jump into like bot matches just for the fun of it. And it was the first time that I finally kind of understood why people are so um, ravenous about content and learning around characters in the MOBA community when you look at the scene around like League World or if you look at the scene around the International for Dota and like how that community is just so invested. And it's like, well, because they want to watch people play at the top of their game and I didn't get that until I played Paragon when I found myself for the first time in my entire life watching streams and strat builds on YouTube and on Twitch and I had never <laughs> never <laughs> done that before I would go and watch like a, like a puzzle solve or like a walkthrough yeah. to like find where a collectible was but I would never sit down and just watch people to like learn how to be a better player and that was what that was the game that did it for me and it was at that moment when I was playing Paragon that I, I, that it clicked, like why hundreds of millions of people around the globe, like are so into the MOBA genre. And I just was so, so heartbroken when they announced that they were going to cancel it in favor of taking that team to work on Fortnite, which listen, I get it. <laughs> Paragon wasn't exactly yeah. like raking in, in the, the money. money. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's designed or worked on a MOBA knows that it's just like a never-ending horizon of of balance and fixes and tweaking, and then you have to add in new characters and you have to rebalance the old ones, and like it's, you know, it's a it's a whole thing. And so I I get why Epic did, made the decision they did, but I was really sad because I thought it had a lot of promise because the verticality that they put in the levels with traversal and being able to kind of like jump between levels um, is just not something you see in mm-hmm. MOBAs at all, and. 
how they kind of changed the way that they were looking at the jungle as a mechanic was really different and exciting, I thought. And it was it felt approachable because they didn't have like an excessive amount of items and they didn't have like this crazy deep bench of heroes or champions. And so I was like, this is the this is it. This is my time to finally like play a MOBA and like and hopefully like get good away. at it. Take it away from you. Yeah. But I really loved it. I had a lot of fun. I spent way too much money buying skins and other things uh, <laughs> in that game. But it was all worth it because I had so many amazing conversations over games of Paragon. Because, like, the average game is, like, 30 to 45 minutes. But some games, we would go almost 90 minutes for a single game. And, like, wow. like the either tragedy or the triumph of that final moment of if you're going to, like, because come down to the win or not. Because when games go long, it's because you're really evenly matched with your other team and neither one of you is making enough progress because no one's snowballing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it's like those to me were always the most exciting because it felt like we were, we had team synergy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Steamrolling people is fun too, but (laughs) you don't get the same sense of satisfaction of of a win when you get a bunch of kills, like hero kills and things in a row, because you're clearly like playing against an undermatched team or against people that just don't know how to build for those heroes or whatnot. But I had to mention it because I think the genre overall, the MOBA genre, had its moment in the last decade. And clearly, like, MOBAs are here to stay and they're only going to get more prolific. We are seeing, you know, the rise of MOBAs on mobile and, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully more different types of more accessible MOBAs are coming down the line. But um, I could not not mention. Oh, yeah, that was your baby. My bay, Paragon. Yeah, rip, man. Yeah. Rip. Rip, pouring <laughs> out her. Went out. It's okay. Someday Steimer's going to teach me how to play League again. It's been too much. Oh, too, I'm too not very good either. So it'll be a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my next pick is a game that I never thought I would actually find w- one of the installments that I would really love. Um, and it's actually GTA. So GTA 5 came out. And I tried playing pretty much every GTA before that. And I would play it for a bit. But I would just always fall out of it. I was just not super interested in the characters, what they were doing. I hated driving. I still hate driving in video games. (laughs) So, like, for me, I was just – I had basically just written off the franchise, right? I was like, look, it's just not for me. I just hate driving video games. The whole game is basically driving. I just can't do it. (laughs) Then GTA V came out, and I was like, fine. I'll give it it another go. Everyone's talking about it. That one character looks batshit crazy. I'm into batshit crazy. (laughs) Let's go. And loved it. Like, just absolutely loved this game. Poured a lot of hours into it. Um, and I actually didn't didn't hate the driving somehow. I was, I was like, I mean, granted, again, I'm not good at it. I yeah, think yeah. I definitely ran over it. a few people. Yeah, like, I what you do. Don't you get points for running over people? No, you get the cops called on yes. you is what you get. <laughs> Lots oh, of law enforcement yeah, yeah, comes yeah, your yeah, way yeah. when you hit pedestrians. That's right. Yeah. I, I always hit people and I also have, you have to hide. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. But I thought it was really fun what they did with the three main characters I loved the way um, they cut between them. So if you were like, okay, well, now I'm going to switch over to Michael, whoever. The camera, like, cuts up and then zooms out over to where they are in the world and then zooms back down and kind of – it's basically, like, checking in on them. And you got this feeling like they were just living their life and then now you come and you're – now you control them, Puppet Master. But it was just so interesting and cool. And I loved the way that they all interacted. I really, really, really loved GTA V. And I did not think – that I would. It was very surprising to me. Without yeah. a doubt, one of the most impactful games of the decade as well. Mm-hmm. You think about the longevity of GTA 5 and how even today it's in the top 10 MPD sales 
for like the base game, which yep. is wild Insane. to think about. Yeah, because that was also another 2013. Yeah, wow. I mean, like I, I remember when they were getting ready to reveal GTA Online because they had like that big delay from when launch was to when online finally went live, um, and there was just this like community that just like rose up and was like, we are going to like make GTA Online like this own living, breathing universe. And even today, <laughs> like how like vibrant and active that community still is is something that i just don't quite comprehend but rockstar is such a fantastic studio about always giving updates i remember when i was at the escapist i was doing news stories constantly about new content drops and new things that they were adding to gta online and you know they kind of went a little quiet for a while which i think was good because that team needed a needed a break yeah Um, but then they came back with this big casino update that they did you know uh, a few months back Uh. now Um, And, like, it feels like that community is alive and kicking again. And I think, obviously, all eyes are on, like, GTA 6. But, like, the idea that that game is still being sold at almost full price because they can. That's insane. Is bonkers. What, over 65 million copies just, sold, I think? Wow. It's, it, it's bananas. It's here. bananas. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, it's in, I think people play that game who don't play anything else. Like my massage therapist before I moved and I saw her. I don't, I hate, I want to call people. I just love it. You're, thought, you're like, my massage therapist really into GTA. She is. Well, she loves GTA. Yeah. I mean, she, I would, because, you know, people say, yeah. what do you do? It's like, I play video games. I play video games. I'm in the industry. She's like, oh my God, I love grand theft auto online that's all she would play that's hilarious i'm trying to get like this really comfy relaxing massage she was just telling me about all these people she was killing and all like these heights she was pulling and she knew nothing about games but she knew how to play grand theft auto online and that was amazing i love it um i stand corrected it's not 65 million copies in fact you guys i made a mistake it's 110 million copies sold and that number is being pulled from a forbes article from may of 2019 so it's more than that so realistically they've definitely sold a lot more than that probably so i mean it's just like that's just phenomenal the gift that keeps on giving (laughs) yeah exactly um britney yo you're up so i would talk about resident evil 2 here but i've talked about that enough on the show lately so you're so allowed to give it a nod yeah like like, this is me nodding at it okay but the other game i'll say instead is pokemon go because what oh i mean i guess yeah for you yeah for me yeah that was just such a really cool time Mm-hmm. Everyone was talking all about Pokemon. Like your my Twitter timeline was just nothing about people showing photos. You know when they're doing the- even the world outside was all. That's true. I, I it's mean, fun to th- think back mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, Yelp started adding Pokestops to restaurant listings to be yeah. like this restaurant has a Pokestop on their little signs outside. They'd be like, yeah, we're be like, we have Wi Fi and Pokestop. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the whole. You know, I live in like a outside of Seattle. It's a smaller rural little city. Area. Rural. I hate that word. Rural. rural. Anyway. It's- um, say. there's like a boardwalk there you know there's some downtown shops everyone it was just hordes of people just walking side by side getting it's like the extras. zombie apocalypse it literally <laughs> was so cool yeah and you know like a magic carp would spawn and it was exciting because it was new and then you could you know do all because it was a whole like strip of pokestops so everyone would be walking and there was a bar right there so jason i would go and get shots and just walk the boardwalk for hours on time i lost like five to ten pounds that summer well, we were, like, i, I lost walking, five to ten pounds taking shots taking shots and, and doing nothing but drinking and walking and catching fucking pokemon it was you the were just life. dehydrated as fuck is what it was oh, hey man it works that's all i'm gonna say i mean it was a phenomenon i mean i yeah. did a story on it when i was at gnd weekly where we did the poker crawl that happened in San Francisco oh, so that met in Dolores Park. And it was like 4,000 people on this poker 
basketball. Yeah. You know, it was it was wild. And even even today, people are still playing it and they're still doing community events and still adding to it. And I think it also is worth recognizing that the reason I think that it should get accolades not only because of its community, but also what they were doing with augmented reality tech. Uh-huh. I mean, Niantic had been around for a while making things, and obviously Pokemon Go was based off of Ingress, right? But, like, the idea that they're using, you know, kind of this, like, geofencing technology coupled with this idea that you also have this augmented reality aspect to it, obviously, like, really hardcore players turn the AR off to conserve battery life, but... That you can put, like, this idea that you're going to go out in the world and catch Pokemon and throw your Pokeball, like, in the real world was something I think was really neat. And especially going into this next decade, I think AR and VR games are going to become more and more common and more and more popular as the tech continues to grow and people figure out how to work with the tech. But yeah. I think it's, like, they absolutely deserve a nod for, Making for it that. Stick, though, because that Harry Potter game, I don't, haven't really heard much about that one. So I played it. It's not the phenomenon it's, that yeah. Pokemon no. <laughs> it, Well, it's not Pokemon, you know? It's, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's a much different game. What like, was it, Harry? But I also think it was, I mean, yeah, it was Pokemon, but then I do think, granted, even though it wasn't the first kind <laughs> of that game, it was the first major franchise to really try something like that try and something. succeed like the dickens mm-hmm. and even for all the problems that had a launch all the promised thing things that are promised that did not come with launch that we still don't even really have now it oh my god though everyone was loved it everyone played i spent so much money on that game that i've talked about before but it was a really cool moment that uh i hope we can get back some other time you know it was just everyone was talking about it. everyone was playing it it was a really cool thing and people were getting outside and exercising and it was just fun it was a good time. Yeah, man. I still Pokemon. walk that boardwalk from time to time, but it's like a graveyard now. Once it gets warmer, we should do it again. I'm down. Go catch Pokemon and have you pronounce all the names. Yeah. Oh, I'm terrible <laughs> at it, as you guys know. Okay. Um, so my next pick was a really tough one. And I'm, I'm still like, even now as I'm talking about it, I'm kind of wavering about which one to pick. So I'm a gigantic Assassin's Creed fan. And there's been a couple of really fantastic Assassin's Creed games that have come out in the last decade. And there's also been a couple of really terrible Assassin's Creed games. Um, And so part of me really wanted to pick Odyssey. And then part of me is like, no, pick Origins. And then the other part of me is like, but you really want to pick Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. So oh. I think that's the one that I'm going to go with because yeah. I think that I could what talk. What do I want? I could talk probably ad nauseum about the reinvention of the franchise with Origins and then Odyssey. But what I think I love about Black Flag is that it feels a lot more like classic Assassin's Creed. But they really did a great job of making an environment and a character that brought people back because they kind of struggled a little bit. Um, I. I've enjoyed all of the Assassin's Creed games with maybe the exception of Syndicate. wasn't really my favorite. But I get that why people have dropped off, whether it be AC3 or maybe it was Revelations or Unity or whatever the reason was that you're like, mm, I'm going to you know, not play Assassin's Creed anymore. I think Black Flag was so universally loved by people that it brought people back that maybe had stepped away from the franchise and is one of my top three favorite Assassin's Creed games. And I, what I love also about it is that it was set in the Caribbean. You got these gorgeous um, blue waters all around. You have these little islands here and there. And Assassin's Creed and really a lot of Ubisoft franchises are known for an abundance of collectibles. And they just really gave you a reason to stop at every little island that you came across when you were out sailing. And I loved the naval mechanics that they added mm. into that game. And I thought it was a really fun thing to bring in because um, they introduced it in AC3 and then they really fleshed it out for AC4. And I just liked Edward as a character. I thought that he was really, you know, kind of 
interesting and fun and different than a lot of the other assassins Ezio being like my number one bay and mm-hmm. um kind of the whole like tone and vibe of, of the setting of assassin's creed 4 was just it's just great maybe it's because like i'm a sucker for like pirates of the caribbean and i was just thinking about ah, pirate things ah. yeah exactly <laughs> and you know being on pirates a are island and drinking rum and all that but the gameplay was just so well done and i loved what they did with the story and adding in all of these little mechanics it didn't feel tacked on they felt like it gave you real progression in the game something that that assassin's creed team or just say teams because there's so many different teams within the ubisoft infrastructure that work on the assassin's creed franchise have kept iterating on since black flag to be to become what odyssey ended up being with this like kind of behemoth rpg kind of going away from the more traditional action adventure that the earlier assassin's creed's were and adding in these RPG elements. So, so what direction do you want to see AC go in real quick? Old school or old school type or new school? I definitely school? think they need to refocus on a lot of the stealth mechanics that I think are underplayed. Because mm-hmm. I think right now there are some good stealth things that are in the game, but there's a lot of ways to just go in guns blazing and not have to use the stealth. And so I think Origins did a better job with that than Odyssey did. I think the problem that I had with Odyssey was that it was too big. It was too much. Uh, They needed to edit it down. And that's why I think I liked Origins a little bit better, even though I like Cassandra as a character better than I like Bayek. Um, Bayek. Um, But we call him Bayek. We call him Bayek because he's Bay. He's Bay. But I think what I would like to see is them take what they've learned from Origins and Odyssey um, because the rumor is Assassin's Creed Ragnarok, which we've talked about on the show, which I'm very excited about. Um, and kind of just like edit down and not make it so overwhelming because there's just too much happening. There's too many collectibles. There's too many things to unlock. And like, it just feels like it's a 300 hour game that yeah. doesn't need to be a 300 hour game. I see the way. Um, I and I think that it would save them a lot of time and money if they didn't put all that stuff in there. I mean, in fairness, like I've talked to the teams at Ubisoft about this before. I talked to the, the team at Massive about it with mm-hmm. the division. I've talked to Assassin's Creed devs about it. I was like, why do you guys put so much stuff in the game? It just feels like it's busy work. And they're like, you'd be surprised how much feedback we get from players that say they want all of that stuff in the game. They want things to chase. They want a lot of reasons to keep coming back to the game. And I was like, okay, that seems like a very fair answer. <laughs> but you know yeah. push up glasses andrea's like i want to see the data on how many people completed all those collectibles i have a yeah, wonder the about thing that is, uh, people don't always know what they want yeah i'm just gonna say that oh that's true, true. <laughs> yeah also you know i've noticed if i've played a game that i want to talk about on the show and there's so much to do it seems overwhelming seems like busy work but i know if i once i played it like kakarot is a perfect example of this when i first started playing i'm like okay there's so many orbs i don't want to do all this i just want to get the story what's happening but as soon as I talked about it, the show got my initial preview out. I was able to go back in that world and actually enjoy it right. and take it in. So sometimes I wonder how much the busy work it has to do with what we do, which like we have to kind of like try to get through games quickly as possible sometimes. Yeah. But anyway. Well, I mean, that's fair. And I don't want to go too far off right. the beaten course of our conversation here. But I think it's worth noting because we have talked about a couple of really big games between GTA and Skyrim and, Witcher. you know, Witcher, Assassin's Creed. I think it also comes back to the idea that most gamers don't have budget to buy a lot of games throughout the year. And I think things like Xbox Game Pass are changing that. Or this idea that you can just buy a subscription now and you can Mm -hmm. have a ton of games to play. But I think it's important that we remember that so many gamers are maybe going to buy one, two, potentially three games for the whole year. And so maybe that $60 or $70 that they spend on a game 
needs to last them months and months at a time. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the game to have that stuff in there as long as they don't tie it to the progression of the game. But it, to me, I, like, I always get like map fatigue, for lack of a better phrase. Samory knows all about that. When you open it and you're like, <laughs> oh, God, there's too much happening on the map. Oh, make it go away. Insta reject. Just insta- instantly turned off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Insta dry panties. All right. Mm-hmm. We're going to kind of lightning round our last three picks. Steimer, go. It's a weird pick, but it's one of the, what I would say, I, we use the word beautiful a lot. I really do think in general, this is a beautiful fucking game. It's Child of Light. Mm. Um, basically a bedtime story that was beautifully done, both in terms of art, music. I still have a lot of that music. I bought the soundtrack because it was so great. And I think about it a lot. Uh, and I even really liked the combat. So the combat was basically turn-based, but a little more action-y. Uh, you needed to be paying attention and like keep in time with it um but yeah so kind of a, a weird pick maybe that most people wouldn't but well, i thought it was beautiful great. and lovely that's why we love yeah. you thank you simon i'm gonna say diablo 3 i think that is just the epitome of a dungeon crawling loot gathering root tooting good time i think there's a reason why games that are like diablo are called diablo like games and that was just an incredibly fun game i loved wandering with that i love how you can customize your characters i loved all the loot all the crafting it's just a good time Ra Ra, Diablo 3. Good pick. Thanks. Um, my pick, and this is tough because I was going back and forth, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention Portal 2. So this is the very beginning <laughs> of the decade, but Portal Such a great game. was something that I was very unfamiliar with until I went to an E3 demo to watch Portal 2. Then I eventually went back and played the original Portal and was like, wow, this is like a puzzle game unlike anything I had ever seen before. And one of the, to this day... Um, like bars to clear for funniest video game writing oh, yeah. ever potentially. Oh god, so good. Um, Glados as a character is phenomenal, and like just some of the other like world building tidbits that they do with narrative in that game, and it makes me so sad that they've shelved this amazing franchise um, for so long. I still am holding out hope someday Portal Three and the addition that they had with the co-op multiplayer, where it really truly felt like you needed a partner to, in order to complete those. Because as Brit, as you know, somebody who plays a lot of co-op. Sometimes the co-op just feels as it's like there, but it doesn't feel compelling. It wasn't built for it, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think Portal 2 really did a great job. And I still maintain to this day that Portal 2 is one of the most perfect video games ever created. Mm-hmm. Like, just top to bottom, start to finish. If you've never played the campaign of Portal 2, um, I can't recommend it enough. One of my top ten favorite games of all time, so... Um, we do want to give just a couple quick honorable mentions because you probably, probably are listening going, I can't believe they didn't mention this game. Um, some games that we think are important but maybe didn't make our personal list. Um, of course, we have Telltale's The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. We've got Fortnite, Minecraft, Rainbow Six Siege on Mine, League of Legends, Paragon, I already talked about. Celeste was a game I was thinking about bringing up. And then Life is Strange. Um, do you ladies have some you want to throw in there? Just some have, honorable mentions. I have Life is Strange. I have Borderlands. Oh, Borderlands 2. Yeah, oh Borderlands God, 2. That game was so good. Yes. Uh, Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor. Oh. Yes, that was an excellent game, too. Um, I, we, so I, words are hard. I went on patreon.com slash what's with games, and I said, hey, we're doing this show. Let us know what some of your favorite games are. And so I just want to read some from our patrons. Yeah. Martha Emery, Persona 5, Mass Effect 2, Stardew Valley, Final Fantasy 15, God of War. 
Sean Hanra, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, which I guess we should give an honorable well, mention to. Well, I had it on my list. I must have accidentally deleted it. But yeah, it was on my mm-hmm. honorable mentions as well. He also set Persona 5, RE2, Delalia Lugo, The Last of Us, Bloodborne, God of War, Dark Souls, Overwatch, Tyler McCall, God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, Elmo Shell, Nino Cooney, Journey, Last of Us, Shovel Knight, um, Spider-Man, Resident Evil 2, and then Brandon Ganondorf, Uncharted 4. Yeah, we never mentioned any of the Uncharted games. No, no they, were, sorry. they were very they were great good games. games but yeah, yeah. Mm. Doom, Portal 2, Kingdom Hearts 3, Ori, Batman Arkham City. Kingdom Hearts 3, get out of here. Arkham Knight, <laughs> Dishonored 2, Wolfenstein, The Old Blood, Gears 5. Uh, a few more. Keith A. Lewis says Bayonetta, Skyrim Journey, Last of Us, Dragon Inquisition, all the other ones we said, Monster Hunter, Iceborne. So, yeah. Monster Hunter is a great game. Journey, amazing game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There was another one in there that somebody said that was... Oh, yeah, the Soul series, I think, has made a lot of lists, but you guys know we're just not that type of player. Soul, Souls games, I mean, I will openly say just aren't for me, but I 100% appreciate, like, the work that From Software has mm-hmm. done on those games, and I've tried all of them and failed at all of them. Derek Hoffman also <laughs> says Super Mario Odyssey was one of his. Mario Kart 7. Yeah, Mario Kart. Mario Kart. Lots of good Mario mm-hmm. Karts. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, what a great decade of games. Now this decade, oh man, this decade's starting real good. Yeah, delays suck, but we'll we'll get them at the end of the decade. I hope. Oh, I think <laughs> so yeah, I think we're pretty most safe of the on games that. that have been delayed are still planning to come out in 2020. Oh, yeah, as far as I know, delayed. the only one when we'll talk about this, or we will at this point, we will have talked about. Yeah, um, you know, Dying Light that maybe is the only one that's being pushed to 2021, but that's okay. Oh, It'll be fine. Yeah, everything's fine. But this has been a great convo. Um, thank you all to listening for us. Thank you for patrons for writing in and letting us know what their favorite games are. Um, of course, we want to hear from you guys. If you haven't written in already, um, tweet to us at what's good underscore games. You can leave a comment on this video on YouTube. Or if you just want to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform of choice and let us know what your favorite game of the decade is that way, we'll take it. Um, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>